0: This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Today's podcast is a reading of The Dream of Debs by Jack London. It's read by Kevin S. for LibriVox. It runs 47 minutes, and we will be discussing it afterward.
1: The Dream of Debs by Jack London. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. I awoke fully an hour before my customary time. This in itself was remarkable, and I lay very wide awake, pondering over it. Something was the matter. Something was wrong. I knew not what. was oppressed by a premonition of something terrible that had happened or was about to happen. But what was it? I strove to orient myself. I remember that at the time of the great earthquake of 1906, many claimed they awakened some moments before the first shock, and that during these moments they experienced strange feelings of dread. Was San Francisco again to be visited by earthquake? I lay for a full minute, numbly expectant, but there occurred no reeling of walls, nor shock and grind of falling masonry. All was quiet. That was it. The silence. No wonder I had been perturbed. The hum of the great live city was strangely absent. The surface cars passed along my street at that time of the day on an average of one every three minutes, but in the ten succeeding minutes not a car passed perhaps it was a street railway strike was my thought or perhaps there had been an accident and the power was shut off but but no the silence was too profound i heard no jar and rattle of wagon wheels nor stamp of iron-shod hoofs straining up the steep cobblestones pressing the push-button beside my bed i strove to hear the sound of the bell though i well knew it was impossible for the sound to rise three stories to me, even if the bell did ring. It rang all right, for a few minutes later Brown entered with the tray in morning paper. Though his features were impassive as ever, I noted a startled, apprehensive light in his eyes. I noted also that there was no cream on the tray. The creamery did not deliver this morning, he explained, nor did the bakery, I glanced again at the tray. There were no fresh French rolls, only slices of stale graham bread from yesterday, the most detestable of bread so far as I was concerned. "'Nothing was delivered this morning, sir,' Brown started to explain apologetically, but I interrupted him. "'The paper?' "'Yes, sir, it was delivered, but it was the only thing, and it is the last time, too. There won't be any paper tomorrow.' The paper says so. Can I send out and get you some condensed milk? I shook my head, accepted the coffee black, and spread open the paper. The headlines explained everything, explained too much, in fact, for the lengths of pessimism to which the journal went were ridiculous. A general strike, it said, had been called all over the United States, and most foreboding anxieties were expressed concerning the provisioning of the great cities. I read on hastily, skimming much and remembering much of labor troubles in the past. For a generation, the general strike had been the dream of organized labor, which dream had arisen originally in the mind of Debs, one of the great labor leaders of thirty years before. I recollected that in my young college settlement days I had even written an article on the subject for one of the magazines, and that I had entitled it The Dream of Debs and I must confess that I had treated the idea very cavalierly and academically as a dream, and nothing more. Time in the world had rolled on. Gompers was gone. The American Federation of Labor was gone, and gone was Debs with all his wild, revolutionary ideas. But the dream had persisted, and here it was at last realized, in fact. But I laughed as I read at the journal's gloomy outlook I knew better. I had seen organized labor worsted in too many conflicts. It would be a matter only of days when the thing would be settled. This was a national strike and it wouldn't take the government long to break it. I threw the paper down and proceeded to dress. It would certainly be interesting to be out in the streets of San Francisco when not a wheel was turning and the whole city was taking an enforced vacation. "'I beg your pardon, sir,' Brown said, as he handed me my cigar-case. "'But Mr. Harmed has asked to see you before you go out.' "'Send him in right away,' I answered. Harmed was the butler. When he entered, I could see he was laboring under controlled excitement. He came at once to the point. "'What shall I do, sir? There will be needed provisions. And the delivery drivers are on strike. And the electricity is shut off. I guess they're on strike, too.' "'Are the shops open?' I asked. "'Only the small ones, sir. "'The retail clerks are out, and the big ones can't open. "'But the owners and their families are running the little ones themselves.' "'Then take the machine,' I said, "'and go the rounds and make your purchases. "'Buy plenty of everything you need or may need. "'Get a box of candles, no, get half a dozen boxes, "'and when you're done tell Harrison to bring the machine around to the club for me, "'not later than eleven. Harmed shook his head gravely. Mr. Harrison has struck, along with the chauffeur's union, and I don't know how to run the machine myself. Oh, ho, he has, has he, said I. Well, when next Mr. Harrison happens around you, tell him that he can look elsewhere for a position. Yes, sir. You don't happen to belong to a butler's union, do you, Harmed? No, sir, was the answer, and even if I did, I'd not desert my employer in a crisis like this. No, sir, I would. All right, thank you, I said. Now you get ready to accompany me. I'll run the machine myself, and we'll lay in a stock of provisions to stand a siege. It was a beautiful first of May, even as May days go. The sky was cloudless, there was no wind, and the air was warm, almost balmy. Many autos were out, but the owners were driving them themselves, The streets were crowded but quiet. The working class, dressed in its Sunday best, was out, taking the air and observing the effects of the strike. It was all so unusual, and withal so peaceful, that I found myself enjoying it. My nerves were tingling with mild excitement. It was a sort of placid adventure. I passed Miss Chickering. She was at the helm of her little runabout. She swung around and came after me, catching me on the corner. Oh, Mr. Corr, she hailed do you know where I can buy candles? I've been to a dozen shops, and they're all sold out. It's dreadfully awful, isn't it?' But her sparkling eyes gave the lie to her words. Like the rest of us, she was enjoying it hugely. Quite an adventure it was, getting those candles. It was not until we went across the city and down into the working-class quarter, south of Market Street, that we found small-corner groceries that had not yet sold out. Miss Chickering thought one box was sufficient— but I persuaded her into taking four. My car was large, and I laid in a dozen boxes. There was no telling what delays might arise in the settlement of the strike. Also I filled the car with sacks of flour, baking powder, tin goods, and all the ordinary necessaries of life suggested by Harmet, who fussed about and clucked over the purchases like an anxious old hen. The remarkable thing that first day of the strike was that no one really apprehended anything serious. The announcement of organized labor in the morning papers, that it was prepared to stay out a month or three months, was laughed at. And yet that very first day we might have guessed as much from the fact that the working class took practically no part in the great rush to buy provisions. Of course not. For weeks and months, craftily and secretly, the whole working class had been laying in private stocks of provisions. That was why we were permitted to go down and buy out the little groceries in the working-class neighborhoods. It was not until I arrived at the club that afternoon that I began to feel the first alarm. Everything was in confusion. There were no alas for the cocktails, and the service was by hitches and jerks. Most of the men were angry, and all were worried. A babble of voices greeted me as I entered. General Folsom, nursing his capacious paunch in a window seat in the smoking-room, was defending himself against half a dozen excited gentlemen who were demanding that he should do something. What can I do more than I have done, he was saying. There are no orders from Washington. If you gentlemen would get a wire through, I'll do anything I am commanded to, but I don't see what good can be done. The first thing I did this morning, as soon as I learned of the strike, was to order in the troops from the Presidio. Three thousand of them. They're guarding the banks, the Mint, the post office, and all the public buildings. There is no disorder whatever. The strikers are keeping the peace perfectly. You can't expect me to shoot them down as they walk along the streets with wives and children all in their best bib and tucker. I'd like to know what's happening on Wall Street, I heard Jimmy Wambald say as he passed along. I could imagine his anxiety, for I knew he was deep in the big, consolidated, western deal. Say, Corf Atkinson bustled up to me, is your machine running? Yes, I answered, but what's the matter with your own? Broken down, and the garages are all closed, and my wife's somewhere around Truckee, I think, stalled on the overland. Can't get a wire to her for love or money. She should have arrived this evening. She may be starving. Lend me your machine. Can't get it across the bay, Halstead spoke up. The ferries aren't running, but I tell you what you can do. There's Rollinson. Oh, Rollinson, come here a moment. Atkinson wants to get a machine across the bay. His wife is stuck on the overland at Truckee. Can't you bring the Lorette across from Tiburon and carry the machine over for him? The Lorette was a two hundred ton ocean going schooner yacht. Rollinson shook his head. You couldn't get a longshoreman to land the machine on board, even if I could get the Lorette over, which I can't, for the crew are members of the Coast Seamen's Union, and they're on strike, along with the rest. But my wife may be starving. I could hear Atkinson wailing as I moved on. At the other end of the smoking room I ran into a group of men bunched excitedly and angrily around Bertie Messener, and Bertie was stirring them up and prodding them in his cool, cynical way. Birdie didn't care about the strike. He didn't care much about anything. He was blasé, at least in all the clean things of life. The nasty things had no attraction for him. He was worth twenty millions, all of it in safe investments, and he had never done a tap of productive work in his life, inherited all from his father and two uncles. He had been everywhere, seen everything, and done everything but get married, and this last, in the face of the grim and determined attack, of a few hundred ambitious mamas. For years he had been the greatest catch, and as yet he had avoided being caught. He was disgracefully eligible. On top of his wealth, he was young, handsome, and, as I said before, clean. He was a great athlete, a young blond god that did everything perfectly and admirably, with the solitary exception of matrimony. And he didn't care about anything, had no ambitions, no passions, no desire to do the very things he did so much better than other men. This is sedition, one man in the group was crying. Another called it revolt and revolution, and another called it anarchy. I can't see it, Bertie said. I've been out in the streets all morning. Perfect order reigns. I never saw a more law-abiding populace. There's no use calling it names. It's not any of those things. It's just what it claims to be. A general strike, and it's your turn to play, gentlemen. And we'll play all right, cried Garfield, one of the traction millionaires. We'll show this dirt where its place is. The beasts. Wait till the government takes a hand. But where is the government, Bertie interposed? It might as well be at the bottom of the sea, so far as you're concerned. You don't know what's happening at Washington. You don't know whether you've got a government or not. Don't you worry about that, Garfield blurted out. I assure you I'm not worrying, Bertie smiled languidly. But it seems to me it's what you fellows are doing. Look in the glass, Garfield. Garfield did not look, but had he looked he would have seen a very excited gentleman with rumpled iron-gray hair, a flushed face, mouth sullen and vindictive, and eyes widely gleaming. It's not right, I tell you, little Hanover said, and from his tone, I was sure that he already said it a number of times. "'Now that's going too far,' Hanover Bertie replied. "'You fellows make me tired. You're all open-shop men. You've eroded my eardrums with your endless gabble for the open shop and the right of a man to work. You've harangued along these lines for years. Labor is doing nothing wrong in going out on this general strike. It is violating no law of God nor man. Don't you talk, Hanover.' You've been ringing the changes too long on the God-given right to work, or not to work. You can't escape the corollary. It's a dirty little sordid scrap, that's all the whole thing is. You've got labor down and gouged it, and now labor's got you down and is gouging you, that's all, and you're squealing. Every man in the group broke out in indignant denials that labor had never been gouged. No, sir, Garfield was shouting, we've done the best for labor. Instead of gouging it, we've given it a chance to live. We've made work for it. Where would labor be if it hadn't been for us? A whole lot better off, Bertie sneered. You've got labor down and gouged it every time you got a chance, and you went out of your way to make chances. No, no, were the cries. There was the Teamsters strike. Right here in San Francisco, Bertie went on imperturbably. The Employers Association precipitated that strike, you know that, And you know I know it, too, for I've sat in these very rooms and heard the inside talk and news of the fight. First you precipitated the strike, then you brought the mayor and the chief of police and broke the strike. A pretty spectacle, you philanthropists, getting the teamsters down and gouging them. Hold on, I'm not through with you. It's only last year that the labor ticket of Colorado elected a governor. He was never seated. You know why? You know how your brother philanthropists and capitalists of Colorado worked it? It was a case of getting labor down and gouging it. You kept the president of the Southwestern Amalgamated Association of Miners in jail for three years on trumped-up murder charges, and with him out of the way, you broke up the association. That was gouging labor, you'll admit. The third time the graduated income tax was declared unconstitutional was a gouge. So was the eight-hour bill you killed in the last Congress. And, of all unmitigated, immoral gouges, your destruction of the closed-shop principle was the limit. You know how it was done. You brought out Farberg, the last president of the old American Federation of Labor. He was your creature, or the creature of all the trusts and employers' associations, which is the same thing. You precipitated the big closed-shop strike. Farberg betrayed that strike. You won, and the old American Federation of Labor crumpled to pieces. You fellows destroyed it, and by so doing undid yourselves, for right on top of it began the organization of the ILW, the biggest and solidest organization of labor the United States has ever seen, and you were responsible for its existence and for the present general strike. You smashed all the old federations and drove Labor into the ILW, and the ILW called the general strike, still fighting for the closed shop. And then you have the effrontery to stand here face to face and tell me that you never got Labor down and gouged it. Bah! This time there were no denials. Garfield broke out in self-defense. We've done nothing we were not compelled to do if we were to win. I'm not saying anything about that, Bertie answered. What I am complaining about is your squealing now that you're getting a taste of your own medicine. How many strikes have you won by starving labor into submission? Well, labor has worked out a scheme whereby to starve you into submission. It wants to close shop, and if it can get it by starving you, why starve you shall. I notice that you have profited in the past by those very labor gouges you mentioned, insinuated Brentwood one of the wiliest and most astute of our corporation lawyers. The receiver is as bad as the thief, he sneered. You had no hand in the gouging, but you took your whack out of the gouge. That is quite beside the question, Brentwood, Bertie drawled. You're as bad as Hanover, intruding the moral element. I haven't said that anything is right or wrong. It's all a rotten game, I know. And My sole kick is that you fellows are squealing— now that you're down, and labor is taking a gouge out of you. Of course I've taken the profits from the gouging, and thanks to you, gentlemen, without having personally to do the dirty work. You did that for me. Oh, believe me, not because I am more virtuous than you, but because my good father and his various brothers left me a lot of money with which to pay for the dirty work. If you mean to insinuate, Brentwood began hotly, hold on, don't get all ruffled up, Bertie interposed, Insolently, there's no use in playing hypocrites in this thieves' den. The high and lofty's all right for the newspapers, boys' clubs, and Sunday schools. That's part of the game. But for heaven's sake, don't let's play it on one another. You know, and you know that I know, just what jobbery was done in the building trade strike last fall. Who put up the money? Who did the work? And who profited by it? Brentwood flushed darkly. But we are all tarred with the same brush and the best thing for us to do is to leave morality out of it. Again, I repeat, play the game, play it to the last finish, but for goodness sake, don't squeal when you get hurt. When I left, the group Bertie was off on a new tack, tormenting them with the more serious aspects of the situation, pointing out the shortage of supplies that was already making itself felt, and asking them what they were going to do about it. A little later, I met him in the cloakroom, leaving— "'and gave him a lift home in my machine. "'It's a great stroke, this general strike,' he said, "'as we bowled along the crowded but orderly streets. "'It's a smashing body blow. "'Labor caught us napping and struck at our weakest place, the stomach. "'I'm going to get out of San Francisco, corf "'Take my advice and get out, too. "'Head for the country, anywhere. "'You'll have more chance. "'Buy up a stock of supplies and get into a tent or a cabin somewhere.' Soon there'll be nothing but starvation in this city for such as we. How correct Bertie Messener was, I never dreamed. I decided that he was an alarmist. As for myself, I was content to remain and watch the fun. After I dropped him, instead of going directly home, I went on in hunt for more food. To my surprise, I learned that the small groceries where I had bought in the morning were sold out. I extended my search to the potrero, and by good luck managed to pick up another box of candles, two sacks of wheat flour, ten pounds of gram flour, which would do for the servants, a case of tinned corn, and two cases of tinned tomatoes. It did look as though there was going to be at least a temporary food shortage, and I hugged myself over the goodly stock provisions I had laid in. The next morning I had my coffee in bed as usual and more than the cream, I missed the daily paper. It was this absence of knowledge of what was going on in the world that I found the chief hardship. Down at the club, there was little news. Ryder had crossed from Oakland in his launch, and Halstead had been down to San Jose and back in his machine. They reported the same conditions in those places as in San Francisco. Everything was tied up by the strike. All grocery stocks had been bought out by the upper classes, and perfect order reigned. But what was happening over the rest of the country, in Chicago, New York, Washington? Most probably the same things that were happening with us, we concluded, but the fact that we did not know with absolute surety was irritating. General Folsom had a bit of news. An attempt had been made to place army telegraphers in the telegraph offices, but the wires had been cut in every direction. This was so far the one unlawful act committed by Labor, in that it was a concerted act he was fully convinced. He had communicated by wireless with the army post at Benicia. The telegraph lines were even then being patrolled by soldiers all the way to Sacramento. Once for one short instant they had got the Sacramento call, then the wires somewhere were cut again. General Folsom reasoned that similar attempts to open communications were being made by the authorities all the way across the continent, but he was noncommittal as to whether or not he thought the attempt would succeed. What worried him was the wire-cutting. He could not but believe that it was an important part of the deep-laid labor conspiracy. Also, he regretted that the government had not long since established its projected chain of wireless stations, The days came and went, and for a time it was a humdrum time. Nothing happened. The edge of excitement had become blunted. The streets were not so crowded. The working class did not come uptown anymore to see how we were taking the strike, and there were not so many automobiles running around. The repair shops and garages were closed, and whenever a machine broke down, it went out of commission. The clutch on mine broke, and neither love nor money could get it repaired like the rest, I was now walking. San Francisco lay dead, and we did not know what was happening over the rest of the country, but from the very fact that we did not know, we could conclude only that the rest of the country lay as dead as San Francisco. From time to time, the city was placarded with the proclamations of organized labor. These had been printed months before, and evidenced how thoroughly the ILW had prepared for the strike. Every detail had been worked out long in advance. No violence had occurred as yet, with the exception of the shooting of a few wire cutters by the soldiers, but the people of the slums were starving and growing ominously restless. The businessmen, the millionaires, and the professional class held meetings and passed resolutions, but there was no way of making the proclamations public. They could not even get them printed. One result of these meetings, however, was that General Folsom was persuaded into taking military possession of the wholesale houses, and of all the flour grain and food warehouses. It was high time, for suffering was becoming acute, in the homes of the rich, and bread lines were necessary. I knew that my servants were beginning to draw long faces, and it was amazing, the hole they made in my stock of provisions. In fact, as I afterwards surmised, each servant was stealing from me and secreting a private stock of provisions for himself. But with the formation of the bread lines came new troubles. There was only so much of a food reserve in San Francisco, and at the best it could not last long. Organized labor we knew had its private supplies, nevertheless, the whole working class joined the bread lines. As a result, the provisions General Folsom had taken possession of diminished with perilous rapidity. How were the soldiers to distinguish between a shabby, middle-class man, a member of the I.L.W., or a slum-dweller? The first and the last had to be fed. But the soldiers did not know all the I.L.W. men in the city, much less the wives and sons and daughters of the I.L.W. men. The employers helping a few of the known Union men were flung out of the breadlines, but that amounted to nothing. To make matters worse, the government tugs that had been hauling food from the army depots on Mare Island to Angel Island found no more food to haul. The soldiers now received their rations from the confiscated provisions, and they received them first. The beginning of the end was in sight. Violence was beginning to show its face. Law and order were passing away, and passing away, I must confess, among the slum people and the upper classes. Organized labor still maintained perfect order. It could well afford to. It had plenty to eat. I remember the afternoon at the club when I caught Halstead and Brentwood whispering in a corner. They took me in on the venture. Brentwood's machine was still in running order, and they were going out cow-stealing. Halstead had a long butcher knife and a cleaver. We went out to the outskirts of the city. Here and there were cows grazing— but always they were guarded by their owners. We pursued our quest, following along the fringe of the city to the east, and on the hills near Hunter's Point we came upon a cow guarded by a little girl. There was also a young calf with a cow. We wasted no time on preliminaries. The little girl ran away screaming while we slaughtered the cow. I omit the details, for they were not nice. We were unaccustomed to such work, and we bungled it but in the midst of it, working with the haste of fear, we heard cries, and we saw a number of men running toward us. We abandoned the spoils and took to our heels. To our surprise, we were not pursued. Looking back, we saw the men hurriedly cutting up the cow. They had been on the same lay as ourselves. We argued that there was plenty for all, and ran back. The scene that followed beggar's description. We fought and squabbled over the division like savages. Brentwood, I remember, was a perfect brute, snarling and snapping and threatening that murder would be done if we did not get our proper share. And we were getting our share when there occurred a new eruption on the scene. This time it was the dreaded peace officers of the ILW. The little girl had brought them. They were armed with whips and clubs, and there were a score of them. The little girl danced up and down in anger, the tears streaming down her cheeks, crying, Give it to him. Give it to him. That guy with the specks. He did it. Mash his face for him. Mash his face. That guy with the specks was I. And I got my face mashed, too, though I had the presence of mind to take off my glasses at the first. My, but we did receive a trouncing as we scattered in all directions. Brentwood, Halstead, and I fled away for the machine. Brentwood's nose was bleeding while Halstead's cheek was cut across with the scarlet slash of a black snake whip. And lo, when the pursuit ceased, and we had gained the machine there hiding behind it, was the frightened calf. Brentwood warned us to be cautious, and crep up on it like a wolf or tiger. Knife and cleaver had been left behind, but Brentwood still had his hands, and over and over on the ground he rolled with the poor little calf as he throttled her. We threw the carcass into the machine, "'covered it over with a robe, and started for home. "'But our misfortunes had only begun. "'We blew out a tire. "'There's no way of fixing it, and Twilight was coming on. "'We abandoned the machine, Brentwood pulling and staggering along in advance, "'the calf covered by the robe, slung across his shoulders. "'We took turn about carrying that calf, and it nearly killed us. "'Also we lost our way. "'And then after hours of wandering and toil, we— "'encountered a gang of hoodlums. "'They were not I.L.W. men, "'and I guess they were as hungry as we. "'At any rate, they got the calf "'and we got the thrashing.' "'Brentwood raged like a madman "'the rest of the way home, "'and he looked like one with his torn clothes, swollen nose, and blackened eyes. "'There wasn't any more cow-stealing after that. "'General Folsom sent his troops out "'and confiscated all the cows, "'and his troopers, aided by the militia, "'ate most of the meat.' General Folsom was not to be blamed. It was his duty to maintain law and order, and he maintained it by means of the soldiers, wherefore he was compelled to feed them first of all. It was about this time that the great panic occurred. The wealthy classes precipitated the flight, and then the slum people caught the contagion and stampeded wildly out of the city. General Folsom was pleased. It was estimated that at least 200,000 had deserted San Francisco by that much was his food problem solved. Well do I remember that day. In the morning I had eaten a crust of bread. Half of the afternoon I had stood in the bread-line, and after dark I returned home, tired and miserable, carrying a quart of rice and a slice of bacon. Brown met me at the door. His face was worn and terrified. All the servants had fled, he informed me. He alone remained. I was touched by his faithfulness, and when I learned that he had eaten nothing all day, I divided my food with him. We cooked half the rice and half the bacon, sharing it equally and reserving the other half for morning. I went to bed with my hunger and tossed restlessly all night. In the morning I found Brown had deserted me, and greater misfortune still, he had stolen what remained of the rice and bacon. It was a gloomy handful of men that came together at the club that morning. There was no service at all, The last servant was gone. I noticed, too, that the silver was gone, and I learned where it had gone. The servants had not taken it, for the reason, I presume, that the club members got to it first. Their method of disposing of it was simple. Down south of Market Street, in the dwellings of the I.L.W., the housewives had given square meals in exchange for it. I went back to my house. Yes, my silver was gone. All but a massive pitcher, this I wrapped up and carried down south of Market Street. I felt better after the meal and returned to the club to learn that there was nothing new in the situation. Hanover, Collins, and Dakon were just leaving. There was no one inside, they told me, and they invited me to come along with them. They were leaving the city, they said, on Dakon's horses, and there was a spare one for me. Dacon had four magnificent carriage horses that he wanted to save and General Folsom had given him the tip that the next morning all the horses that remained in the city were to be confiscated for food. There were not many horses left, for tens of thousands of them had been turned loose into the country when the hay and grain gave out during the first days. Birdall, I remember, who had great draying interests, had turned loose three hundred dray horses. At an average value of five hundred dollars, this had amounted to a dollars. He had hoped at first to recover most of the horses after the strike was over, but in the end he never recovered one of them. They were all eaten by the people that fled from San Francisco. For that matter, the killing of the army mules and horses for food had already begun. Fortunately for Dakon, he had had a plentiful supply of hay and grain stored in his stable. We managed to raise four saddles, and we found the animals in good condition and spirited with all unused to being ridden. I remember the San Francisco of the great earthquake as we rode through the streets, but this San Francisco was vastly more pitiable. No cataclysm of nature had caused this, but rather the tyranny of the labor unions. We rode down past Union Square and through the theater, hotel, and shopping districts. The streets were deserted. Here and there stood automobiles abandoned where they had broken down, or when the gasoline had given out, there was no sign of life, save for the occasional policemen and the soldiers guarding the banks and public buildings. Once we came upon an ILW man pasting up the latest proclamation. We stopped to read. We have maintained an orderly strike, it ran, and we shall maintain order to the end. The end will come when our demands are satisfied and our demands will be satisfied when we have starved our employers into submission, as we ourselves in the past have often been starved into submission. Messener's very words, Collins said, and I for one am ready to submit, only they won't give me a chance to submit. I haven't had a full meal in an age. I wonder what horse meat tastes like. We stopped to read another Proclamation. When we think our employers are ready to submit, we shall open up the telegraphs and place the employers' associations of the United States in communication, but only messages relating to peace terms shall be permitted over the wires. We rode on, crossed Market Street, and a little later were passing through the working-class district. Here the streets were not deserted. Leaning over the gates or standing in groups were the ILW men, "'Happy, well-fed children were playing games, "'and stout housewives sat on the front steps gossiping. "'One and all cast amused glances at us. "'Little children ran after us, crying, "'Hey, mister, ain't you hungry?' "'And one woman, nursing a child at her breast, called to Dakon. "'Say, fatty, I'll give you a meal for your skate. "'Ham and potatoes, currant jelly, white bread, "'canned butter, and two cups of coffee.' Have you noticed the last few days Hanover remarked to me that there's not been a stray dog in the streets? I'd noticed, but I had not thought about it before. It was high time to leave the unfortunate city. We at last managed to connect with the San Bruno Road, along which we headed south. I had a country place near Menlo, and it was our objective. But soon we began to discover that the country was far off and far more dangerous than the city. There the soldiers and the ILW kept order, but the country had been turned over to anarchy. Two hundred thousand people had fled from San Francisco, and we had countless evidences that their flight had been like that of an army of locusts. They had swept everything clean. There had been robbery and fighting. Here and there we passed bodies by the roadside and saw the blackened ruins of farmhouses. The fences were down, and the crops had been trampled by the feet of a multitude. All the vegetable patches had been rooted out by the famished hordes. All the chickens and farm animals had been slaughtered. This was true of all the main roads that led out of San Francisco. Here and there, away from the roads, farmers had held their own with shotguns and revolvers, and were still holding their own. They warned us away, and refused to parley with us and all the destruction and violence had been done by the slum-dwellers and the upper classes. The I.L.W. men, with plentiful food supplies, remained quietly in their homes in the cities. Early in the ride we received concrete proof of how desperate was the situation. To the right of us we heard cries and rifle shots. Bullets whistled dangerously near. There was a crashing in the underbrush. Then a magnificent black truck-horse broke across the road in front of us and was gone. We had barely time to notice that he was bleeding and lame. He was followed by three soldiers. The chase went on among the trees on the left. We could hear the soldiers calling to one another. A fourth soldier limped out upon the road from the right, sat down on a boulder and mopped the sweat from his face. Militia, Dacon whispered. Deserters. The man grinned up at us and asked for a match. In reply to Dakon's "What's the word?", he informed us that the militia men were deserting. No grub, he explained. They're feeding it all to the regulars. We also learned from him that the military prisoners had been released from Alcatraz Island because they could no longer be fed. I shall never forget the next sight we encountered. We came upon it abruptly around a turn of the road. Overhead arched the trees. The sunshine was filtering down through the branches. Butterflies were fluttering by, and from the fields came the song of larks. And there it stood, a powerful touring car. About it and in it lay a number of corpses. It told its own tale. Its occupants, fleeing from the city, had been attacked and dragged down by a gang of slum dwellers. Hoodlums. The thing had occurred within twenty-four hours. Freshly opened meat and fruit tins explained the reason for the attack. Dacon examined the bodies. I thought so, he reported. i ridden in the car. It was Periton, the whole family, we have got to watch out for ourselves from now on. But we have no food with which to invite attack, I objected. Dacon pointed to the horse I rode, and I understood. Early in the day, Dacon's horse had cast a shoe the delicate hoof had split, and by noon the animal was limping. Dakon refused to ride it farther, and refused to desert it. So on his solicitation we went on. He would lead the horse and join us at my place. That was the last we saw of him, nor did we ever learn his end. By one o'clock we arrived at the town of Menlo, or rather at the site of Menlo, for it was in ruins. Corpses lay everywhere. The business part of the town, as well as part of the residences had been gutted by fire. Here and there a residents still held out, but there was no getting near them. When we approached too closely, we were fired upon. We met a woman who was poking about in the smoking ruins of her cottage. The first attack, she told us, had been on the stores, and as she talked we could picture that raging, roaring, hungry mob clinging itself on the handful of townspeople millionaires and paupers had fought side by side for the food, and then fought with one another after they got it. The town of Palo Alto and Stanford University had been sacked in similar fashion, we learned. Ahead of us lay a desolate, wasted land, and we thought we were wise in turning off to my place. It lay three miles to the west, snuggling among the first rolling swells of the foothills. But as we rode along, we saw that the devastation was not confined to the main roads. The van of the flight had kept to the roads, sacking the small towns as it went, while those that followed had scattered out and swept the whole countryside like a great broom. My place was built of concrete, masonry, and tiles, and so had escaped being burned, but it was gutted clean. We found the gardener's body in the windmill, littered around with empty shotgun shells, had put up a good fight, but no trace could we find of the two Italian laborers, nor of the housekeeper and her husband. Not a live thing remained. The calves, the colts, all the fancy poultry and thoroughbred stock, everything was gone. The kitchen and the fireplaces where the mob had cooked were a mess, while many campfires outside bore witness to the large number that had fed and spent the night. What they had not eaten they had carried away there was not a bite for us. We spent the rest of the night vainly waiting for Dakon, and in the morning with our revolvers fought off half a dozen marauders. Then we killed one of Dakon's horses, hiding for the future what meat we did not immediately eat. In the afternoon, Collins went out for a walk, but failed to return. This was the last straw to Hanover. He was for flight there and then, and I had great difficulty in persuading him to wait for daylight, as for myself, I was convinced that the end of the general strike was near, and I was resolved to return to San Francisco. So in the morning we parted company, Hanover heading south, fifty pounds of horse meat strapped to a saddle, while I, similarly loaded, headed north. Little Hanover pulled through all right, and to the end of his life he will persist, I know, and boring everybody with the narrative of his subsequent adventures." I got as far as Belmont on the main road back when I was robbed of my horse-meat by three militiamen. There was no change in the situation, they said, except that it was going from bad to worse. The I.L.W. had plenty of provisions hidden away and could last out for months. I managed to get as far as Baden when my horse was taken away from me by a dozen men. Two of them were San Francisco policemen, and the remainder were regular soldiers. This was ominous. The situation was certainly extreme when the regulars were beginning to desert. When I continued my way on foot, they already had the fire started, and the last of Dacan's horses lay slaughtered on the ground. As luck would have it, I sprained my ankle and succeeded in getting no farther than south San Francisco. I lay there that night in an outhouse, shivering with a cold and at the same time burning with fever two days I lay there, too sick to move, and on the third reeling and giddy, supporting myself on an extemporized crutch, I tottered on toward San Francisco. I was weak as well, for it was the third day since food had passed my lips. It was a day of nightmare and torment, as in a dream I passed hundreds of regular soldiers drifting along in the opposite direction, and many policemen with their families organized in large groups for mutual protection. As I entered the city I remembered the workman's house at which I had traded the silver pitcher, and in that direction my hunger drove me. Twilight was falling when I came to the place. I passed around by the alleyway and crawled up the black steps on which I collapsed. I managed to reach out with a crutch and knock on the door. Then I must have fainted, for I came to in the kitchen, my face wet with water and whiskey being poured down my throat. I choked and sputtered and tried to talk. I began saying something about not having any more silver pitchers, but that I would make it up to them afterward if they would only give me something to eat. But the housewife interrupted me. Why, you poor man, she said, haven't you heard? The strike was called off this afternoon. Of course we'll give you something to eat. She bustled around, opening a tin of breakfast bacon and preparing to fry it. Let me have some now, please, I begged, and I ate the raw bacon on a slice of bread, while her husband explained that the demands of the ILW had been granted. The wires had been opened up in the early afternoon, and everywhere the employers' associations had given in. There hadn't been any employers left in San Francisco, but General Folsom had spoken for them the trains and steamers would start running in the morning, and so would everything else just as soon as system could be established. And that was the end of the general strike. I never want to see another one. It was worse than a war. The general strike is a cruel and immoral thing, and the brain of man should be capable of running industry in a more rational way. Harrison is still my chauffeur, who is part of the conditions of the ILW that All of its members should be reinstated in their old positions. Brown never came back, but the rest of the servants are with me. I hadn't the heart to discharge them, poor creatures. They were pretty hard-pressed when they deserted with the food and silver. And now I can't discharge them. They have all been unionized by the ILW. The tyranny of organized labor is getting beyond human endurance. Something must be done.
0: Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Paul. Hi, I'm Will. And we're going to talk about The Dream of Debs by Jack London, first published in the International Socialist Review, January and February, 1909. Later published in The Strength of the Strong, uh, which is a collection of his stuff. I think that's like five years later or so. Um, this is a very interesting story. I, <laughs> I was joking about how... We, um, we should probably talk about this today because it's, it's uh, very appropriate for our times. But uh, I don't know. It, it, it's, it, 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 there's probably a more appropriate one. You guys both read um, The Scarlet Plague? I only heard of it. I read The Scarlet Plague. I was also
2: thinking Mask of the Red Death.
0: Mask of the Red Death is a little bit uh, highfalutin version of the same thing, but absolutely very appropriate for our times. Yes, Um, and it's uh, M A S Q U E usually, rather than M A S K usually. Yeah, but uh, yeah, because
2: mask meaning dance, not mask as in face covering.
0: Well, I, you know, the funny thing is, I believe the first publication has it as M A S K.
2: (laughs) Well, they're wrong. No, no,
0: that was Poe's first. First name for oh, it, so what well, was wrong. It's it's a mask, not a mask. I don't know. It's both, right? Think of think of um, how it goes in the King and Yellow. There's a story called The Mask. And mask,
2: mask, no mask,
0: m- mask. You wear no mask, and then uh, yeah, whatever her name goes crazy and jumps in the fireplace or whatever.
2: The yes, I believe.
0: right, right. That could be it. Uh, oh no, that's a that's a that's the hunting story.
2: That's uh, a hunting star. So I, I, I mix it. Why haven't we done enough of uh,
0: chambers? chambers? Mm-hmm.
2: Other audio versions. That's a no, side yeah, note. No, there's what lots kind of, of
0: lots of chambers uh, out out there. We've done a few. Um, he's interesting. He's definitely interesting. In any case, um, I do encourage everybody uh, to check out the illustrated version, um, which I. So very carefully uh,
2: Available on, on the PDF page mm-hmm. of with get the, color illustrations
0: right and black and white illustrations. And um, I, I want to point out that it, it's published in 1909. So you notice um, how many how much worries about cars breaking down? Robert? Yes.
2: I, I, I mean, and the, the worries is that, yeah, the thing cars going to break down if it's not if it's not serviced every five minutes.
0: Yeah, and, and everybody has a driver, which is still true today. A lot of people have drivers, right? Uber or uh, chauffeurs, or they just hire a service, right, that does the same thing. Taxis, obviously. But uh, I, I was just reading the 1910 and 1911 issues of a very, very high-end magazine in the UK. Probably the highest-end magazine there was called The Sketch, um, it's where Lord Dunsany's, uh, uh book of wonder was first published, um, and oh. uh, so many ads for tires—unbelievable! Goodyear, the Goodyear guy with you know, whatever the Goodyear white tire guy—like he, he's made of tires. Yeah, he he was he was in there. Um, wow, the, a lot of the modern um, tire companies are still going. Uh, I noticed tons of ads for cars. Um, There's a whole section on uh, wheels and wings, so um, rich people having airplanes that they're playing with and rich people having cars that they're playing with. And they're mostly touring cars, so they're open, like as in this story. Um, and that's this is written, obviously, you know, 1909 or slightly earlier would be m- more likely because it's January 1909, so it's 1908. This is the very, very beginning of... of uh, Cars, cars as a thing. Cars as a toy of the rich, right? Um, so another thing that's missing, um, if you want to look at this story, like why does this story play out the way it does, um, is refrigeration technology doesn't exist yet. It, it It's sort of, you know, in its infancy, but we, it's going to be a couple years before any... Com- I think it's not until the 1920s that... Um, I was looking at that wide
2: wide scale refrigeration. I mean, there's always been ways to kind of store ice. ice I mean, going back thousands of years.
0: But an ice box requires you to, uh, you know, have an ice delivery every every day or every second day, right? right? And a general strike destroys that. Um, So there's a number of issues that uh, make this particular general strike uh, subject to technology... like there's certainly not much talk about toilet paper, <laughs> not, right? Uh,
2: well, well, yeah. Or I mean, paper towels I would, or hand sanitizer. I mean, Saturday, Saturday morning, I'm in the grocery store, and I'm thinking about the stories. I'm looking at all the toilet tissue except for the store brand and Angel Soft, which is crap. I don't know if you have any in I Canada. I don't think so. It's the only toilet paper left. I'm thinking, my God.
0: We use what? pine cones up here.
2: Oh, <laughs> but that's it's got a
0: shape but that's neither here nor there but yeah i was thinking, i was, thinking,
2: I, was thinking, I was thinking I was thinking about shorted, um cuz i mean p- i mean part of the plot of the story is they go to the store they get stuff, and then the stores are the big stores are all closed and the small stores are all sold out and as i am wandering around this grocery store and seeing almost all the canned soup is gone but certain flavors are not because people aren't touching them like Weirdly enough, Manhattan clam chowder, which finally I can get available here. No one touched it, so I just got a few cans because I love it. But I guess these Midwesterners have no have no taste in clam chowder. It's like, okay, more for me.
0: Yeah, uh, they had canned food in um, in the story, right? Right. There's, there's uh, well, yeah. a, a number of of things that are in common, but a general strike of the kind that you see in this story is not as easily achieved. I think today,
2: well, um, we don't, we don't have an LW to organize it and actually make it an actual thing. I mean, I've seen calls on Twitter for some people saying, Oh, when are we going to have a general
0: strike? When Bernie loses the election and our revolution turns into a party, I think you'll see something. Right. Uh, I, I I I I think you're being things, optimistic. I, things just have to get bad enough, and it, 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 they seem yeah, inevitable. Yeah, I don't
3: think that's how strikes work. I think this. Uh, I think this story is actually like somewhat good when it in terms of like what had to happen for like yes. the ILW to accomplish the general strike. I mean, there's like this story is like very silly in a lot of ways, and I mean, I think it's intended to be silly. Um,
0: I want to hear w- more about that. Keep going.
3: Y- yeah, well the uh the ILW, which is of course like a hand wave IWW industrial mm-hmm. workers of the world. Um uh you know, the union that was set I would up say to industrial say, well,
0: labor workers or something is probably Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, yeah, or Ind- the, uh, international labor workers. It doesn't say yeah, in the story.
3: Yeah, yeah, but it's uh, I mean it's a, it's a hand wave, it's the IWW. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, the uh, industrial workers of the world were uh, the first labor organization uh, since, like, maybe the Knights of Labor in like the 1860s that would um, like accept a person uh, regardless of their like gender, national origin, or color, mm-hmm. and uh, probably more importantly, uh, regardless of what your job title was. Um, so uh, the idea was we wanted to organize all of the workers in the industry rather than. I just want to, like, get all of the, like, people who put this one kind of nail into the shoe, into this union, and then, like, the people who make the shoelace, we want to have them in a different union, and, like, we'll just do it that way. Um, So uh, this is, like, a story about industrial unionism. That was, like, one of the things that uh, uh, set uh, the socialists apart from uh, some of their contemporaries in the labor movement at the time uh uh-huh. and so that's uh that's a piece of this uh the general strike is uh i mean at the time this was written it had like a mythological quality uh for people in the labor movement mm-hmm. um you know it's certainly like a thing that had happened before um i think in the uh 1880s mm-hmm. uh there was uh, uh the railway strike and that's actually what uh You know, Debs led that. He wasn't a socialist at the time. He'd never read Marx. Uh, He had actually been a a Democratic state representative in Indiana. Um, He was kind of a a self-taught, you know, layperson. Worked as a fireman. They don't teach this
0: stuff in school. That's why. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. Definitely um, not. Um, and also like people like didn't have the same opportunities to go to school at that time. Like most people were not graduating from high school until after world war Mm one. Um, so, uh, you know, that's, that's a feature of this as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah. So this is industrial unionism. I thought what was like totally uncanny about this story Mm -hmm. was, uh, so like, it's like, you know, we'll say the majority of uh, working-age people in the United States had knowledge that they were going to walk off the job mm. on this day in a coordinated way, planned <laughs> for it for months, and, like, kept the information so tight that nobody knew they were going to do it.
0: Yeah, it doesn't It doesn't quite say... I, I totally was thinking that, too. It doesn't quite say that nobody knew it. Um, you think about, like... Like if it was happening today, right? We would we would see it uh, organizations on Craigslist. We would see organizations through email and Twitter hashtags, DMs, right? There have been revolutions, you know. Think you, think of uh, uh, the uh, Arab Ab-spring. Spring sort yeah. of stuff that, you know, whatever. Governments governments can know about stuff, but they're kind of incompetent in dealing with stuff, as you can see by, you know, just turning on the news. Yeah. Most of the time, you know, you you sort of have to have some. And our hero, right? Where does he get his information? Is from the newspaper. Um, so and it's
3: like going to be a particular newspaper, right? right? Like he's not reading the same newspaper as like the members of the ILW.
0: Right. Right. So you can sort of know. That I mean, we, we, we can know that things are in the offing, but whether it's going to be pulled off or not is kind of interesting. Um, I want to I want to talk about some real-life ones. There was one in Vancouver in 1918, uh, general yeah. strike. Yeah. It only lasted one day. But the big one for Canada was uh, Winnipeg general strike, which uh, was 1919, so 100 years ago last year. There was almost nothing mentioned of it, even though it, it's kind of a big deal for because it lasted like s- six weeks. Um, And it wasn't, you know, nobody thinks of Winnipeg and says, oh, my God, what an amazing cosmopolitan city. But at the time, it was the third biggest city in Canada. So it was not nothing. Um, And and a lot of it was, you know, so the 1918 one was about basically anti-conscription for, you know, why we being sent off to fight in Europe for, you know, mother. This pointless war. This pointless war. Like, I was... uh, Talking to somebody yesterday, why the fuck was the United States in World War One? Oh yeah, I, I was talking to a narrator friend of mine who <laughs> who lost his leg in Vietnam. Right? Yeah. <laughs> hey, yeah. He uh, uh, second lieutenant Mike Vendetti uh, goes to go, goes to ROTC and ends up uh, being sent off to Vietnam. Gets his leg blown off. Um, comes back. It's like, hmm, <laughs> why did I go there? Why did I end <laughs> up there? Right? I mean, it's a it's It's not uh, emotionally unconflicted uh, because you know you go over to a foreign land and lo- leave part of your body there. It's kind of uh, makes you feel feel stuff. but um why was the United States involved in World War one? It makes no sense, right but it, it if Jack London supported it. It's very interesting, right? Like why how do these people think, We're very complex, strange creatures.
3: I, I mean, there's an economic answer to the question of why the United States oh, sure. won. War One. Like, you know, our like our credit, our like banks had like lent the British a lot of money. Yeah. Um. So we were like gonna go make sure that like like J. P. Morgan got paid. Like and more that's, importantly,
0: if you come in at the end, you get the spoils. You know. You, well, that's a, yeah, that's probably a factor too. Um. They, I, know, and think there's, there's a the whole. Yeah,
2: the whole Wolfsonian. But think,
0: think of the cost between uh, the United States after, after World War II and, and the U.K. after World War II. They had rationing until the 50, mid-50s in uh, the U.K. Like the, I was looking at some months in 1953, you know, Wikipedia has entries for every, every single day of the year uh, for, like, the whole 20th century. And some, some days nothing happens, but, um, <laughs> oh, oh, today is the last day of r- r- sugar rationing in the U.K., in like 19, sometime in August in 1953 or whatever, it's like, oh yeah, <laughs> they're like completely fucked, right? at the end, because they they overextended their economic uh, lending possibilities, and they organized mm-hmm. it in certain ways so that it cost them a lot. But the United States is doing great. What a difference a couple of years makes, right? In
3: well, and, 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 and also you know the United States. Uh our colony in Hawaii was attacked, but you know it's not like
2: uh and a few. Aleutian our Islands.
3: infrastructure was not destroyed. Right, right,
2: yeah,
0: and in and, fact, it
3: was built up during the war.
0: Yeah, and the percentage of the population is, you know, blah blah blah. There's a bunch of sto- so, uh, how unrealistic is this story? Um It's kind of unrealistic, but also, how long a period of time does it take place over? I don't think like it's, a week or something. It doesn't feel like it's that long, but it also doesn't I don't think it says, but the thing is is people are getting starving, right? Um, so it's obviously at least a because, week.
2: Because because they took no it's it's longer than that because it could be I mean, six just, weeks. Because, because they say tonight. that days days came and went does not sound like a couple of
0: days. It's definitely not a couple of days, right? It's not a one day strike. It's not a uh you know, uh but but also, I think the fact, like, today, today, if we suddenly had a general strike somehow, like just today, um, people have food reserves in their houses just by dint of having refrigerators. As long as the electricity's working, you've got whatever's in your fridge, right? And you might not want to eat those pickles that have been in the back for six months, but you could. And you would. And people have dogs and cats that they wouldn't uh, otherwise have, you know, and your neighbors have dogs and cats. Um and we <laughs> more hear, importantly, yeah, we see that. We see that in this story. Um there's a, 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 but we're also seeing it from the point of view of a very wealthy man. He has two homes uh, within close proximity of each other, right? A country house and a city house. Yeah, uh, he's a basically a feudal lord.
2: Uh
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean and he's like a he's a character of fun. Like the story is like meant to poke fun at people like him.
0: Well, especially at the end, right? That last line. Um something needs what did to he be say? done.
3: <laughs> oh yeah, 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 where he's like, I have to hire my staff back because they're unionized. Um the uh um so what I thought was unrealistic about the story, uh, like regardless of like the starvation and stuff, mm-hmm. is just sort of um it was all like it was orderly in a way that was ridiculous um uh only one person was, only like a couple people got killed by the army throughout the whole thing the only thing that the workers sabotaged were the telegraph lines um and it's well, just like yeah. uh, it, it's it's a little bit like um it's like a it's like an apocalypse in a comic book um like like the world is going to get ripped in half but you know that like by the end of the story everything is going to be basically the same as it was um and like you know a few people might get killed but
0: well, i think more people get killed in this than we see uh just based on the but, number but, no, of people I mean, we just see in terms getting killed
3: of, like uh, the the state like the state is just totally unable to respond um like the uh um, you know, when the industrial unions were, like, actually, like, taking off, like, uh, so this story, like, it's a story about what would happen, um, if, like, the industrial unions accomplished some of their goals that they had at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, you know, we didn't see this, uh, strike wave that the story imagines until, like, the mid-30s. Um, this is something we don't talk about in the United States. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Uh, I mean, there's a there's a reason um, that, uh, you know, official like curricula at school, like don't talk about like the history of the labor movement uh, because it's like the history of like uh, people who had been subordinated, like uh, just like. It's, I mean, like it's
0: actual a functional history showing you it, how how things change.
3: <laughs> how, yeah, like functional history showing you how things change. and like yeah, it, we don't want to like, learn uh, learn you how to change stuff, yeah, no. I mean, and uh, like what you see here in like the International Socialist Review, like publishing stories by Jack London, things like that. Um, you know, one of the principles of the labor movement for the longest time was, we really can't rely on like like the newspapers owned by rich people to Correct. like uh like you know give us good information like spread our information. We actually have to have our own press. We have right. to have um like our own means of uh, communicating things because like it's uh you know I mean it's really just common sense, right? Mm-hmm. Like uh people who own everything like don't want you to know that <laughs> um uh you know the reason like. It was like factory jobs turned into like you know family sustaining jobs was, uh, you know the UAW was fighting pitch battles with the police in the streets of Detroit and uh, uh, you know that's uh, uh, like the miners were going out on illegal strikes all the time during World War II. Like uh, you know the union signed a no strike pledge, right? But the miners were like, no, like we're just gonna like stay out until you like give us the goods. Um, so this story, like I mean, it is like an actual history of the future when it's written. It's one of those science fiction stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, but
0: uh, the technology isn't really any different at all. so it's I think it's set just a couple of years ahead of of when
2: yeah it it's it's not meant to be set in the future, although although but, as will point out, it is it is predictive in a science fiction sense of what some aspects of the labor you movement actually wind up it's
3: you i mean you could say it's like uh you could say you could say maybe it's utopian right it's not utopian writing but it's it plays the same role as like um i th- i
2: think i think it's more uh what's the word aspirational Right? like i wish this would ha- almost like i wish this is the way it would go because you
3: know like like edward bellamy's looking backward mm-hmm. you like call that like utopian writing but it's it's actually a. um Like these kinds of stories, like they play like a political purpose. Um, uh, You know, it's a way of transmitting information. Uh, uh, The, uh, you know, uh, like socialism is a lot of things. One of the things that socialism is, uh, is a story. Um, And you get that. uh, Well, all politics are a story.
0: Well, a story that things can be better, though, I think.
3: Uh, Yeah, and a story about how to make things better. It's a story about like who you are. Um, like who your friends are, who your enemies are, uh, like what you and your friends want to accomplish uh, and how you're going to accomplish it. Mm-hmm. Um, and how it could work. And, and how it could work. And this, uh, I guess like, um, what's funny about this story, I think is just, it's very, um, like like he emphasizes like the lawfulness of the ILW. Like they only did a few illegal things.
0: Um, well, and, uh, yeah, it's funny when he uh, he goes to his office his- his uh club and the other guys there are saying this is unprecedented and uh, immoral and and he says "No, nah, it's not immoral it's just the way you know they are using the leverage that we used against them right that, <laughs> they're gonna get yeah, that, yeah this he, is he, this he, is he, a fair game
2: he's surprisingly sympathetic as a character to 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 the movie i mean i mean it's because i mean because he's He's only using him as a mouthpiece, and he and he's personally inconvenienced by everything. But his point of view is—I I found it surprisingly—he's well, like he's yeah, a, this is, yeah, this is a fair journalist, So yeah, he
0: I mean, he he went to—he's like—he's uh, a blue-check Twitter uh, guy who his parents, <laughs> yeah, were totally. Wealthy. I mean, this is this is uh, what, what's the—he's like David guy guy on for C- oh, yeah, David Frum's Canadian, Anderson Cooper, right? He's a Anderson Cooper, Yeah. His grandma was one of the most, Vanderbilts. Yeah, Vanderbilts or whatever. Um he didn't have trouble getting into J school, right? Um he didn't have trouble having any contacts who could put him in a job uh, at CNN. That's not that's not the issue. Um uh, but because he he went to school with some actual journalists and he knows some actual journalists every once in a while, he can sort of relate a little better slightly than you know the billionaires he interviews, and who sign his paycheck, right? Uh, so there's that's and who are his friends and relations? That's and who he hangs out with, exactly at the at the club. So he says, if you really want to understand uh, uh, what Bernie Sanders' movement is about, and they don't listen, right, at the club. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, in in any case, he's on their side, and that's why at the end, even though he, you know. He, I'll just read that last little. Oh, I'm, I'm on the wrong thing. I wanted to, I have another PDF. It's very I'll, I'll similar. Yeah, go for it.
2: And that was the end of the general strike. I never want to see another one. It was worse than a war. A general strike is a cruel and immoral thing. And the brain of man should be capable of running industry in a more rational way. Harrison is still my so far. It was part of the conditions of the ILW that all of its members should be reinstated in their old positions. Brown never came back, but the rest of the servants are with me. I hadn't had the heart to discharge them, poor creatures. They were pretty hard pressed when they deserted with the food and silver, and now I can't discharge them. They have all been unionized by the L.W. The tyranny of organized labor is getting beyond human endurance. Something must be done.
0: Right, and so I get the sense that, like, the fact that he didn't have his his lands and houses stripped from him, that. It's just a or burned better, to the ground. It's a just well, one of them was, you know, many similar neighbors had their shit burned to the ground, right? His house was not one of his houses was not made of material that could be burned easily, but the fact that many of his his similar class would have lost, uh, you know, substantial portions of their stuff, they'd still have the land if they had their lives. So they haven't overturned capitalism here. They've just basically made it so that there's a possibility of a better deal for the worker. Um, And yet, (laughs) what is his solution? The tyranny of organized labor is getting beyond human (laughs) insurance. I think this is a, I I can't replace quite what it is, but I think this is an inversion of another line that I've heard before. And then something must be done. Uh, Obviously, that's the starting point of where this general strike happens.
2: And what is to be done is straight from Lenin.
0: Yeah, I think I think that part is, but the tyranny of organized labor is so. There's the tyranny of, of the pluti- plutocrats has got to be something like it. Um, I want to I want to place this in, um, a couple of contexts. One, going back to the Winnipeg General Strike, uh, that thing lasted six weeks. It was it was a big deal. Like uh, who led it? So it was a bunch of dudes who basically were immigrant. Uh, Immigrant labor and um, that class of people, and they went on to like the ones. You know, a lot of people went to jail, uh, but yeah, you know, for only a year or so. One guy got off completely after doing his um, his own defense. Um, there was a uh, one. One of them went on to uh, become one of the leaders of the CCF, which uh, yeah. It, c- Cooperative Commonwealth Federation. My, my grandparents were um, involved in that in in the Prairie Provinces, and then even today, my mom is working for the New Democratic Party, which is a uh, the renamed uh, CCF. Um, and the thing is, is this is actually really an important strike in and in a way that they don't teach in school. We, are, we have a different culture than you guys do, and, and it's mostly to do with our relationship to government, right? You guys have this story where, you know, government can't do anything right and blah, 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 blah. Um, that's why healthcare prices are through the roof. And, you know, one guy I follow on Twitter tweeted out his bill for uh, – his name's Steve Cox. He's a great account, independent in California, running for Congress, um, he tweeted out his, his wife's medical bill, I guess his medical bill for his wife's vaginal pregnancy. It's like $64,000. And, you know, like lanolin cream for nipples was like $160, something you could buy in the store for six bucks, right? Just ridiculous, overpriced, uh, inelastic, um, economic chiseling. Right. That is 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 baked into the way the system works. So the reason we have universal health care in Canada is because of the actions of the CCF and more importantly, the force behind it in the prairie provinces, which is, you know, there was even a religious guy, uh, Tommy Douglas, whose grand great grandson is uh, uh, Kiefer Sutherland, right? Kiefer Sutherland's great-grandpa was largely responsible for <laughs> for bringing in uh, universal health care in the prairies, which was adopted by the liberal government, just had their ideas stolen because, you know. And the CCF and the NDP basically have had that happen many, many times. Things get bad enough when the third party that's more left than both the two right-wing par- parties get a... Uh, a sense that they might lose an election, they just adopt the thing that'll help them win the election, right? This is, this is how, if you want to get change happen, you have to make demands that will happen if you don't change it. So this is why not any blue will do, Paul. You have to have somebody who has much stronger demands, way far left of what you actually want in order to get what you want. It just will not happen otherwise. And then eventually the guillotines will come out because if you deny it and deny it and deny it, you will have some sort of, there will be some sort of strike and some, they can end in horrible violence, right? The Winnipeg general strike, almost very few people were killed. It's an amazing thing to study if you're into just going onto Wikipedia and reading about it, or there are probably books about it, but it's definitely not taught in school. They don't. They barely mentioned it in you know the public news last year, um, even though it was the hundredth anniversary of a uh, of a massive six week strike that I think is very much similar, like a
3: seminal event in Canadian history. It's, it's yeah. two years after the Russian Revolution,
0: exactly. And you know the same the charges uh, of the nineteen eighteen Vancouver strike, um, where you know these are all communists uh, or what the Bolsheviks and and I mean, they might have been like. It's the thing. Like, that, honestly, it's it's more like because uh, we're so se- we're so separated from them, right? It's basically a bunch of people saying this deal sucks. And I I noticed that when you demand shit uh, and shit doesn't get done in other countries, and there's a revolution, um, that scares the shit out of the government. How do you scare the shit out of the government? You say let's stop this shit. And reading a magazine like the one we've got here. We'll give you some ideas. So uh, it's it's not quite like I don't think I think the violence that we see in the dream of Debs is actually a lot less than there was. There are definitely people like in the Vancouver strike, some guy, uh, a couple of the leaders were attacked by soldiers who, um, you know, under under uh, semi control of the government, you know, make make uh, some of the leaders kiss the, the union jack, like physically grab them and shove their face into the union. Just, kiss it, kiss it. Like, yeah. that's, that's bad. But the violence there, it was relatively minor. Um, but the, when um, you've got 30,000 workers in a city of, uh, you know, the third biggest city in Canada on strike, and they control the streets in the way that you can really stop stop all traffic, it, you know you can't fill up your car, you can't you know go to the grocery store you can't do anything that you would normally do the The government had to you know work pretty hard to get this under control and even though they essentially were defeated, that movement was so big, and so people could see the power of it. it just grew that. That sort of thing, and that's why we have that change, that difference. It did. It wasn't like Canada was born with a, a different healthcare system. A different health. It yeah, was not you, born you with a different healthcare system. It it was it was a movement that was successful. It was like a few dudes getting together and saying, "We got to get this shit together. We don't like the way we're being treated." And by the nineteen nineteen, right? Those are guys. The guys who were, uh, you know, supporting it. Were return soldiers, not the soldiers who had been, you know, just conscripted up, being ready to be shipped off. They're the return soldiers who's seeing what a shitty deal they're getting. So
3: yeah, well, and like what, the that's what you know, and yeah. It. Oh, sorry. Like, um, yeah, the yeah. There's this crazy idea that like like soldiers like love war, um, <laughs> which is uh, you know, I. uh Uh, I've never met anybody who loves war, actually.
0: Well, Um, there's a lot of doofus men and boys who think war is cool. I I play war games all the time. They're really fun. Uh, But when you actually go do it, it turns out that they're not so cool, right? Yeah, and,
3: uh, you know, uh, like, the people who uh, executed the Russian Revolution were the, like, Russian soldiers. They were, like, conscripted and forced to... uh, Fight the
2: Germans, uh, yeah.
3: Fight the Germans for uh, for reasons that, like, did not make any sense exactly. for them. Um, and uh, so, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. I think um, situating... Uh, I think the title of this story is uh, Intentional.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, the Dream of Debs. So, like, Debs is mentioned maybe once or twice in the story. It's not about him, but uh, it's... Uh,
0: It sounds like Debs is dead at this point in history.
3: Yeah, which, of course, in 1909 he was not. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Um, But uh, so I I think it's worth thinking about, like, uh, this uh, allusion to Debs at the opening of this story. Um, You know, we could say maybe it's as significant as uh, Frankenstein's subtitle, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. The Modern Prometheus. Like, this is, um, uh, you know... We're going to anchor ourselves to this. Is uh, Eugene Debs
0: for anybody who doesn't know what we're talking about? He was a guy who who got a uh, very slim but very interesting uh, amount of the vote for president when he ran. uh, I don't know. He ran a bunch of times, but he ran from prison the last time. Yeah,
3: yeah. like so. He was a he was a labor leader from uh, the Midwest in the eighteen eighties. Led this massive railway strike uh, that was broken up by. the Government, like they brought out the soldier. like the mm-hmm. uh, like the firemen all went out on strike. They like tore up the tracks, uh, and the government brought out the soldiers to kill them. And uh, Debs uh, went to prison uh, under the Sherman Antitrust Act. At that time, unions were illegal under antitrust law. Um, because it's, uh, you know, the workers are illegally coordinating with each other to try to get higher wages. Right. So that's, you know, they're a cartel. It's, it's funny, so, right? So.
0: It's it, they're <laughs> using, they're using the laws that are designed to help them against them.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So there's a, so that taught Deb's a lesson. Um, uh, and he learned at that time that the fight between, uh, labor and capital, like was not just, you know, existing outside of, well, what was going on in the government that, uh, that the labor movement had to pay attention to, like what the state was, and he was visited uh, in prison by a Congress, a guy who would go on to be a congressman from uh, Wisconsin, a guy named Victor Berger, visited Debs in prison and brought him a copy of uh, Marx's Capital and was like, "Debs, you need to read this book. Mm-hmm. I think you're a really cool guy. I think you should be a Marxist." And Deb was like, "Well, I really like reading books, so this seems good. Uh, also, I'm in prison, so this like multi-volume text about like how capitalism works could really help me out." Mm-hmm. And so uh, Deb's became essentially a uh, traveling evangelist for uh, Marxism at, at that time. Like he spoke in the tradition of um, uh, American revival speakers, mm-hmm. uh, evangelical Christianity. Um, he's sort of like you know, the American socialist. But instead
0: of heaven, heaven being your goal, it's heaven on earth.
3: Yeah. The, the cooperative commonwealth, mm-hmm. um, socialism. Um, and you know, his ideology was that basically human beings are sacred. Um, and we need to reorganize society so that like human beings are treated in a sacred way. Uh, you know, uh, you know, ultimately all human beings are sacred, but right now, like, it's the workers who have the ability to create the kind of society that needs to be created. So, like, that's, like, who I'm going to be with. Also, like, I'm just, like, you know, a poor kid from Terre Haute, Indiana who happened to be good at talking, so, Mm -hmm. like, I've been able to make a living. Um, But, you know, my belief is that everybody has to come together and, like, rise together and pull everybody up together and, uh, you know... Uh, expropriate the parasites who have been living off our labor for 10,000 years. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of how they thought about it. Uh, so that that's the backdrop to this story um, is, uh, you know, uh, a revolutionary politics uh, that's like, we're going to, like, you know, overthrow the government and replace it with a different kind of government. It's like, um, you know, it's just sort of an interesting backdrop. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, that was, like, like in this, a, a guy who believed that got a quarter of the votes in Oklahoma at one point in time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that was, uh, you know, when he was running for prison from jail and he goes to prison because, uh, he was speaking out against world war one. Uh, he was saying, you know, guys, this, uh, like th- this is all about like paying back, uh, securing you know, the, the British- loans. Yeah. Yeah. This is all about securing the loans. Um, uh, you know, uh, You know, he was, like, a very American guy, but he had, like, the common position of socialists at the time, which was, uh, you know, I don't have a country. I I belong to the world. Like, it's the workers of the world. Um, It's, like, disgusting that we're all going to go kill each other when Mm -hmm. we have more in common with each other than the people telling us to kill each other. Yep. Um, And that's, uh, uh, you know, like they weren't afraid to say that. And there were consequences for saying that, like he went to prison. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
2: um, well, well uh, yeah, I, yeah, I mean, in a, in a lesser extent, I mean, just even look at how people were vilified for opposing, say the invasion of Iraq in 2002.
3: Yeah. Like the Dixie Chicks. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Dixie Chicks. That's you mean the, perfect, the heroes perfect example.
0: that are the Dixie the, Chicks? Yeah. Yeah. The Dixie Chicks. Um, I don't even but, know, I don't know their songs, but I know they're heroes. Yeah. That's, uh, you know, uh, I think or, would... or
2: or even Bill Maher saying, "Oh yeah, that the terrorists that that drove the planes and in, 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 into the twin towers were not cowards." He got vilified for something which is self evident. You're not a coward if you're going to sacrifice yourself by pushing a t- plane into a tower. It's like it, I mean, it was it was a time of weird, weird war rah rah madness.
3: Yeah, yeah, and so that's the um, so um, you know this is like. You know, a magazine that probably would have been like suppressed during that period. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit before then. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, yeah, but he's evoking Debs, like this like uh, person who's like universally loved like across the socialist movement, um, and like people who like hate each other all love Debs. Um, uh, so that's uh, so he's just like pulling like the biggest figure that socialists have, and says that you know this is our dream. Yeah, our dream is. Uh, that we're gonna have change. this like uh, uh, this dream of change, and also we're gonna ha- go out, we'll have this like fairly lawful strike. it's, um, it's we'll, like we'll, a hope
0: we'll, for change, it,
3: right? it, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, a, a hope it, it's for change, it, it's, a like hope it's
0: like hope for change. Yeah, it's hope uh, and when you don't get a hope for change fulfilled, what happens? You get TV news clown, right? Uh, this is a, how did you get Trump? It's like real obvious. <laughs> People wanted hope and change. Did they get hope and change? No, they got six new wars. <laughs> six yeah. new wars and yeah. continuation of more neoliberalism. So when you get another guy saying I can, ch- I, I, I can, I can lead our country, who or another lady who says I can lead our country, I'm, I'm, I'm good. She doesn't even say I'm change. She says, "I'm really competent, and you guys." A- America
3: are is already great. America is already That's great. That's
0: right. <laughs> the, the question is not whether it's great. <laughs> the GDP is very high. That's not the question. Question is, are you going to make my life better? The answer is no. And then there's another guy who says, "Can I? Can I uh, uh, be a possibility of change?" Hell yeah! And more importantly, let's. We know our country isn't great. Let's make it great again. People, you don't have to be a, a lunatic to see the appeal. You just have to s- sort of see, like, oh yeah, some people are living under bridges, and uh, a lot of people have debt that they don't feel like, it, you know, is justified based on the amount of uh, technological production that's possible. Seems like there's some unfairness there. Guaranteed, if Biden is the is the candidate. He will unless unless something weird happens with this with this death uh, that's the red death that's upon us right now. Unless something weird happens, guaranteed Biden will lose, just because he he is not a change candidate. He is not. No,
2: a no, he no he's, he's he is he is status quo auntie. Which it is, what, no.
0: He says let's return to normalcy. Right. 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 Return status to normalcy, quo. as somebody pointed out very cleverly this week. Return to normalcy is is. Uh, uh the MAGA for white liberals and I, I don't even think it's white liberals you don't have to be white you just have to be basically doing fine Do you have stocks and you're happy or, or, with your stocks and you're oh, and,
3: and you're I, well and they're, they're they're similar in that they're both imaginary right yes. like there's not like there's not actually like uh like a status quo ante that we could return to that, like, wasn't coming apart at the seams, like, um, and well, there's also, like, not a period where, like, you know, like, uh, you know, like, what is greatness? What is America? Um, uh, you know, I, I have some questions, mm-hmm. uh, but, uh, I, I, oh, so yeah, I just, uh, I think, though, uh, I, th- I think the, uh, uh, the jingoism, the jingoism stuff is like interesting to bring up um, in the context of Jack London. I, so one, I think Jack London is like what, like at the time, uh, like one of the like biggest American writers, like the second coming of Mark Twain. Like everybody loved him, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Am I am I wrong? Oh about no, that? he was the biggest. He was the richest writer in the United States during his life. Yeah. right. He yeah, was we did,
2: we, a we superstar. We did bio on him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, 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 he people Go ahead. that. He was building that house that giant house he had he had
0: the estate you know that that uh, he's writing about at some point i don't know if he, but he no, don't think,
2: never got fin- he yeah but he was building finished. it right he was built he was building the estate he would yeah he was he was box office in a way as you say well not since mark twain
3: yeah yeah i think that like um you know whenever you like are reviewing like the things that people were into reading, like things you, things, people you're into reading, were into reading. It's like, if they're American, like probably on the list are Mark Twain and or Jack London.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, so like, he's just this huge figure. He is. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, you all probably know more about this if you've done the bio piece on him. But, uh, so, you know, he comes to socialism in a very pragmatic way. He's like, I'm like a broke laborer. um, Here's, like, a system that would, like, uh, you know, allow me to, like, not be a broke laborer. And also, like, it's a political culture that encourages me, a broke laborer, to, like, read and write. Uh, He
0: he started as a homeless guy, and he actually went across the country with a bunch of homeless to march on Washington, right? You remember this, Paul?
2: Yes. Oh, yeah.
0: So he, he was, like, he was in with those folks he was in with the poorest of the poor he was the poorest of the poor right
3: yeah yeah like jack london was the proletariat at
0: one
1: point in time yes
3: yes. um he like and so uh you know this guy's like he's a uh you know he's a sincere socialist um but uh like most of uh the american socialist party um you know uh at that time uh uh, socialism had a left, a center and a right. And, uh, if you were to look at like where the American socialists were, most of them were on the right. Debs was, uh, actually on the center or on the left. Uh, but, uh, most American socialists were, uh, at least in terms of, uh, the people who were like the leaders of the party and especially, um, like the native born English speaking socialists, like, uh, were uh rightists in the context of the socialist movement and so i I think that like comes through here in like jack london's writing a little bit um it's like all about the orderliness um you know and i could be like reading into this but then uh uh, by the time world war one uh comes around jack london uh is like one, like, complaining about how lazy the Italians who work for him are. <laughs> uh, two, he resigns from the Socialist Party because, quote, the Socialist Party is not pursuing class struggle hard enough. Like, yeah. and this is around the same time he's, like, criticizing his, like, own workers for being lazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then third...
0: Uh, well, he, he, supports- had a, he had a crazy work ethic, though, too, right? Like, it, it, no, it, yeah. if you yeah, look at a, his own life... Yeah. he was he right. was like you know if you hung out with Jack London, it was like he could drink you under the table, he could ride all day, you know he's out there you know heaving bricks, you know so the fact that you couldn't keep up with a superhuman uh writing thinking physical you know he's boxing the shit out of people right he lived real hard and he died real hard you know so um, that, he's, that's, like a,
3: he's a he's a proletarian lord Dunsony.
0: He is really interesting. That, that's that's a really good way of it's, putting it. Like, yeah,
3: he's a he's a proletarian lord. Dungeon-y. That sounds right. um, Yeah, like he has that like uh, um, you know like lust for life. But uh, you know the the thing that uh, you know Jack Lul- Jack London, who you know he invokes Debs in this story, like mm-hmm. back in the past. But by the time World War One rolls around, he's like, no, like German civilization is disgusting. We need to destroy it militarily.
0: Yeah, he's well, he's not uh, like most he's people. So, he's not uncomplicated.
3: Yeah, yeah well, he's a um, what we'd call like a social patriot. Um, but uh, you know, so this is. But the other piece of the story that's interesting is um, so you know, you know, he uh, will use some language from the story. He he gouges the rich in this story. He like really makes fun of them, mm-hmm. like, and it's really funny. Uh, because it, like, seems true to life, right? And uh, he's using all these tropes from popular fiction, like the, the gentleman meeting at their gentleman's club and having a conversation mm-hmm. and, like, talking about these things. You know, most of the people reading this probably, like, never went to a gentleman's club, right? Right. <laughs> like, this is,
0: like... Uh, I haven't. <laughs> the, yeah. <and laughs> well, like, I guess is, I have. It depends on what you mean by a gentleman's club now.
3: Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, what I mean is, too much information. Like, yeah, this is like a, this is the audience of this story are not the people who this story is poking fun at.
0: Right. Right. Um. Yeah, so, I'm not sure. So, I'm not sure how much he's poking fun. I think he's playful. He always has been playful. But uh, it's also really interesting. You, you probably haven't read it, um, considering how young you are. Will, but uh, we, um, Paul, you were in for the Iron Heel, right?
2: I was not in for no? Iron. I've read okay. Iron Heel, but a, was not I think in maybe
0: Brian was in. Uh, Brian Alexander was in for that. I so. think this was
2: before my time. I'm not so. a
0: big fan of the Iron Heel as a as a story. I don't think it's very well told. Um, which is funny because I think almost everything Jack London writes is amazing. But it's very interesting. It's basically uh, future history. very distant future history of the 20th century and all the revolutions that brought us to where we are in this future. Um, And it involves a very Jack London version of Debs, basically who goes to people's houses and argues with them about how, you know, socialism is going, is inevitable and it's going to do this and it's going to do that. And then, uh, it's it's all narrated by his wife, uh, the character's wife, and it's sort of a history of that, but from a future scholar. So I'm not sure it's I'm, – I'm not convinced that it's a great, great novel. At least it didn't feel like that to me. But it does sort of go over the same material and situation. Very similar. You got to – if you haven't read The Scarlet Plague, Paul, I'm pretty sure you were in for that one because that wasn't that long ago yeah right um this is a book that i highly highly recommend to everybody who's currently suffering a uh social distancing or whatever we want to call this particular plague um because it is it's like this on steroids in terms of seeing what happens when when society breaks down it's like uh earth abides is a very famous novel that Basically, just rips off uh, the Scarlet Plague and makes it full length novel. Scarlet Plague is only like an hour and a half or two hours, something like that, to listen to. Um, oh, so, actually,
2: I wasn't on the Scarlet no? Plague.
0: No, okay. Well, uh, um,
2: I I think I think because I was on vacation uh-huh. <laughs> at okay. that time.
0: Wow, well, so, yeah, the that I, that explains, Yeah, yeah. I, I did a lot of uh, uh, shows it's with Lisa. Um, that was with Misa and Evan. I'm just obsessed with Jack London stuff.
2: Episode 537. You published it August 2019.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it wasn't that long so, ago. But I, one of my, so yeah, my nieces was I doing, a, been, yeah, a uh, vacation doing like it not. in uh, some... I, I don't I don't know if it was a feminist class or something. She was doing some sort of university class where she was reading a bunch of books, and one of them was that one. So I thought, oh. You
2: did the Iron Heel in 2013 with Brian Alexander, mm-hmm. so that was before my time. Okay. But yeah, Skull of like, like I must got not a have been. a couple in.
0: others that might be before your time, and probably right around the time Will was born. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, um, yeah, when I was born, seven but, years ago. That's right. Um,
0: News from Nowhere. Um, by uh, I guess that wasn't when Will was born, he was probably a toddler then. Uh, when we did, yeah, yeah, I, you know, I
3: was born in 2006, of course, something and, like that, uh, yeah, yeah.
0: Um,
3: <laughs> what if I was born actually the date of the first uh, SF Audio podcast release? That was the, the <laughs> mythology well we created. Be, yeah, that's right, uh, Will Emmons, Boy you, Genius.
0: You, you were born, <laughs> uh, born from the creation of, there you go, anyways, yeah. Um the very interesting news from nowhere is a kind of famous book as you pointed out uh, Bellamy earlier this is a response to Bellamy um and it's a very very gentle utopian novel set in a future where a uh, well to do man uh, dreams himself into a future where everybody lives the lifestyle of an artist and a uh, A Jesse, basically, just, you know, not working very much, working on what they want to work on. Um, They don't have many, many luxury goods, but everything that they have is beautiful. Um, He's the uh, arts and crafts guy, right, which makes sense. Everything's beautiful. If you're going to make furniture, make it beautiful. If you're going to make wallpaper, make it beautiful. Um, And this is a very solid book in terms of inspiring sort of the – those who need inspiration – uh, maybe who because they aren't feeling the pinch. But uh, if you read, the, I bring this up because this story, News from Nowhere, was published in a very similar magazine to the one we're looking at today. Uh, you know, International Socialist mm-hmm. Review is an American magazine. Uh, but the Common Commonweal, the official journal of the Socialist League, is the British version, right, basically. Um, price one penny, uh, published... In January nineteen, uh, January eleventh, nineteen eighteen ninety, right, and it's the same thing. If you want to publish your story, you publish it in a place where you control the means of of publication, so it doesn't get censored. Very, very similarly, I've got another one that I've also done a show on that I think is very interestingly similar, and that is *Her Land* by Charlotte Perkins Gilman. I, for some reason, did not ever put the PDF up, but. The magazine that it was originally published in, I I, I must just never put it up, but I, I'll dig the, dig it out somewhere. Um, it was first published in a magazine she was editor of, just the same way that um, that uh, uh, William Morris was editor of his uh, Socialist League. He was one of those guys in the UK working very very hard, rich guy working very very hard to make workers have an eight-hour workday. Um, one of the one of the uh, things that those workers in Winnipeg wanted for um, themselves was uh, f- a five day work week and a six hour work day.
3: Yeah, yeah. Eight hour. The eight hour day was supposed to be like it was like a stopping point. Like it wasn't supposed to be rather like we're going to fight for the eight hour day and we're going to like ratchet down from there. Mm-hmm. I mean, originally the demand was the ten hour day. People kind of won that.
0: Yep. Uh, and then, yeah, that's the 18, 1800s. The ten-hour day, yeah, yeah, and, and they and were then happy then the, with it, right? Well, say again. They were happy with it because it was down from what 14, 16 hours a day.
3: Yeah, yeah and so yeah. Uh, the eighteen-eighties come around, and that's when we have our eight-hour day movement start, and you know we kind of win that. But then, I mean, that's been rolled back, right? Like, oh, dude, don't that, have the eight-hour. Everybody day has anymore. three
0: jobs now, right? Yeah, um,
3: yeah that's yeah. I, I mean, we're, was we're always
2: connected. It, it, it's I well. Her land was episode 243, and in 2013, that was before my time. And ironically, again, news from nowhere, October 2018. Again, I wasn't on the podcast. It was Paul on conveniently
0: a flees the country whenever we try and do a socialist show. <laughs> this is, not this one, no, I'm still here.
2: I mean, finally, you got me on for a socialist show. The Evan other ones, I'm fled, not the,
0: Evan f- fled uh, the United States for China, because he... He he wasn't he wasn't uh, has nothing to do with it. He just was not scheduled properly.
2: I want to I want to to read something real quick Mm -hmm. that I found. I I found I found the origin of the of the phrase about the tyranny and human endurance. This Uh is this is from a sermon. From with few and therefore particularly honorable exceptions, the body of the nonconformists of the 16th and 17th centuries possess no comprehensive knowledge either in theory or in their practice of liberty, civil and religious. The proper view of their case is this. Their public conduct can be justified and proved solely on the principles of that liberty, which, thanks be to God, is in our time so much better understood. Persecution and tyranny, wanting far beyond the limits of human endurance, made our ancestors sensible of the inseparable affinity between spiritual and civil freedom. It's, 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 it's from a 19th century sermon.
3: Mm. So what does uh, that mean?
2: Um
0: <laughs> I don't know.
3: <laughs> um, yeah, I mean like is, is there a like, like are the nonconformists here like so if I, I understand like so people who are like religiously nonconforming are uh you know uh you know we have to allow them to do that and in the past there were only not these nonconforming people because of like like oppression that was too hard to endure.
2: I I I, I, th- I think the sense that Kendish is going is, is that like that, relig- that seeing religious I mean tyranny against religious freedom lets you see tyranny of, of against civil freedom. It's it's an awake it's an awakening of sorts. Like see- seeing people being oppressed for their religious beliefs awakens you to tyranny of your civil of your civil liberties. I think that's where Tensions is going there. Okay. Uh, because if you, uh, I'll read a little further. They become feelingly convinced that for the due extension of the rights of conscience, man has no security under a despotic government, and he cannot, must not hold these rights at a tyrant's nod. Acting on this principle and from a persuasion of the southern value of religion, they recovered and preserved the precious spark, which in their own days glimmered so feebly as to appear in the most imminent danger of being totally extinguished. So yeah, he's 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 tying that religious freedom with civil freedom.
0: Yeah, and you know Tommy Douglas, the guy I was t- telling you, Baptist preacher. Yeah, he was he was a prairie was a preacher, giant. A prairie giant, yeah, absolutely prairie giant. Uh, there's a mini series on CBC at one point, sort of didn't do great because
3: I they, I, I, I think I have that on DVD. Oh, really? I uh, yeah 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 um, yeah Tommy Douglas like pretty interesting figure i mean he led the like first um like nominally socialist government in like the history of north america
0: same same party that eventually gets changed to the ndp current british columbia government and their policies are they're they're basically they're just good policies and they kind of help people they're just not very radical and They're the Canadian
3: re- Labour Party. Well, like they were set up to be yeah. the Canadian Labour Party, Absolutely. but it's weird because, uh, like, at some point in British history, like Labour surpassed like
0: the Liberals. Uh- <laughs> it's very dangerous. That's the problem. When when you get success and you know, you have a party. Well, you know, the Democrats used to be the party of labor. Right? They used to well be before about, that
3: they were the party of slavery. They like absolutely a, they and cha- before parties changed like the Republicans also used to be the party of labor Right. Like, <laughs> the,
0: these things change. So uh the, the guy I would think of today who talks kinda like that is Cornell West. Whenever I hear Cornell West talk, I am saying, I could be a Christian. I totally yeah, could a, be a Christian because the way I, he that's thinks, smart. The way he thinks is, you know, there are there are bad people in the world. I hope that they change. Uh, we can't let them stop us, right? <laughs> there are there are people who radically disappointed me. <laughs> um, I I supported them, right? I supported them. I thought they were what they said they were, and they weren't. And now I believe in, you know, I, I need to accept that and find a way to move forward, right? He he was a supporter of Barack Obama and then he saw what barack obama did and he said this is not something i can accept and and that's why it's like you know this is this is uh, paul i i i keep thinking about it those snake emojis it's it's a real thing that that is not artificial people believe she is a snake in this not that she's a lizard person they believe elizabeth warren stabbed burning the back and not because she you know, believed it, but rather as a calculated political move to boost her and steal his momentum somehow and, like, that he would just go along with it. He he was stabbed in the back in a certain sense. And that's why I think, like, you know, you have to really sort of reconcile with the fact that, yeah, you know, Nancy Pelosi... She might tear up Trump's speech, but she's wearing $600 uh, silk scarves that, you know, she seems to have an endless supply of uh, to go, you know, campaign for people who are against workers. She's not a good person. She's an enemy of the people. She says she's on the right team. She says she's resisting Trump, but she isn't. She, the same, what was the the last one, the same day she... uh, Tore up his speech. They signed. Uh, was that the uh, uh, authorization to get military force budget? I don't know. It was just yeah. like a huge, yeah. huge yeah. amount of money. That or what's the latest one? Um, the uh, even like even you know. I think that's that very tweet that I put a little funny uh, snake in a uh, room on fire says this is fine. Um, that that thing that made me laugh so hard because i found a gift that was just perfect um what's so strange about it is that she didn't even vote for that latest coronavirus uh, appropriation she wasn't she did not attend it's like okay maybe you can't get there but making the appeal on twitter is not the same as actually you know fighting for change her plan for medicare for all was designed to fail if you looked at it closely, it was designed to fail. Because she says we're going to do it in two parts. Well, if she's going to have any chance of getting it done, it has to be right away. She knows this. She didn't really she and that's people that's why her campaign sort of failed. She took on all those Clinton Clinton people and they said do it this way. You know, stab your buddy in the back and he didn't see it coming. People can't judge people. You don't know who's going to be, you know, steady. We can't say whether somebody in our own household is going to be like the butler trying to help us out, even when we're kind of stabbing him in the back. Or whether they're going to just flee with your, your, I mean, we, we, we can't know except what people do in crises. And that's, that's what's so interesting about it, I think. Yeah. I, I feel the sense that you th- you think she's still fighting for you. I think she tricked you. I I was I was down with her being an ally. But I don't think she is an ally. I think she's an enemy. And I yeah, I'm probably a little bit I'm
3: more... I'm probably
0: a little bit more... I'm not even in this fight, right? I'm just outside Yeah, well, of I'm zero. a
3: little bit more tolerant of Elizabeth Warren. Or not tolerant is not the right word. Um, my analysis of the thing is... Um, so like like Elizabeth Warren's base is like a narrow stratum of like, uh, like progressive petty bourgeoisie and like allied professionals. Well, that's like, who
0: that's who her appeal is, right? Is yeah,
3: the, yeah. But that's the, like the like it's it, it's that class's attempt to like have its own platform, which like you know, uh, one of the like principles of Marxism is that uh, you know the the petty bourgeoisie actually can't like lead in politics like they can either follow the bourgeoisie or they can follow the proletariat mm-hmm.
0: um, you're going to have uh, to define these terms for us okay yeah so the bourgeoisie
3: yeah. the capitalist class um uh, the owners of property mm-hmm. uh and so we talk we talk about the petty bourgeoisie uh that's like just means the small bourgeoisie right it's like people who might they have own, a little like, bit some, they might have a little bit of property i think people tend to use the term to describe uh like, professionals, um, as well, mm-hmm. uh, although, you know, professionals tend to own a little bit of property, if not, like, you know, if they don't own their own business, they probably have, like, like, a 401k plan, many people own houses, um, like, uh, but it, it's not meant to be, like, oh, they're morally a bad person because they own property, it's just meant to describe, like, like, what their position mm-hmm. in society is. The, the petty um, part is
0: not, not how yeah. they act, it's... It's how yeah, although, much they yeah, have.
3: Yeah, although uh, sometimes, like, because the petty bourgeoisie, is, like, profit margins are lower. Petty like, is like
0: uh, small, small in French, right?
3: Yeah, yeah. Petty is
0: just small in French. Sometimes okay, okay.
3: they do act petty because their profit margins are lower, <laughs> uh, right? Like, yes. like, like restaurant owners. You know, they're like right. the most evil people in the world, and like, they're not always breaking even. But uh, well, it's a very dangerous it's vic- business. Yeah. Yeah, they're not always breaking even, and like you know, oh, we should feel bad for them because they're not able to turn a profit. But the way that they react to not being able to turn a profit is by trying to like squeeze the most amount of profit uh, out of like super exploited people, right? Uh, rather than you know, so it's it's a it's a position of uh, of class, and, and um, uh,
0: that's uh, going right back to you know, it's an inelastic good. When you can't afford to eat out, you don't, and so the restaurants can totally. Crash and so those, yeah, no, that's they, where the they, squeeze yeah. can happen so easily. Whereas the gross profit store, margins are already and the low. warehouse workers, you know, th- they're going to be needed no matter where you get your food,
3: yeah. Um, and so the proletariat, when I say the proletariat, it's like, uh, like the word uh, technically just means people who own nothing,
0: right? Like, um, there's well, a, what's there's the a- word for people who have massive debt and so have the opposite of owning.
3: <laughs> yeah, I think proletarian also describes that as well. Okay, um uh, you know, sometimes people will say like debt peon, I don't think that's mm. like uh, a scientific debt term. Debt peonage, yeah. Yeah, um but uh you know uh,
0: so uh, all the people all the people today who are told stay home but can't. Right?
3: Yeah, yeah. No, that's you you literally uh they will be Bernie homeless. Sanders has taken some criticism for repeating this early 20th century term wage slavery, right? Because um, uh, like you can't like compare like one form of oppression to another form of oppression because that's like just beyond the pale. Uh, but uh, the um, uh, you know uh, it really is a condition where like you're not like literally somebody's chattel, but uh, if you don't show up and perform this task, like you know.
0: It's if you gonna like, be on the street with you.
3: Yeah, exactly. So it's sort of like, is this really like a choice? Um, uh, so, so yeah, that's the that's that was uh, you know Marx's idea was that um, you know I see this labor movement that exists, like uh, you know sections of it espouse this ideology that I've been won over to communism, uh, but uh, you know. Th- they call it scientific socialism because, you know, we're trying to figure out, like, who the people can actually who can actually do this stuff are. Uh, what's interesting in this story, um, so obviously the ILW are, you know, uh, supposed to be just, like, the majority of the proletariat are either supporters or members of the ILW mm-hmm. in these circumstances, um, which is... You know, well, they've think, been doing a lot of work.
0: <laughs> uh, no, I also think that, like, as you see in, like, the general, general strikes in, in Winnipeg and such, what happens is once a certain number of people can't stop working, it m- becomes much easier for everyone to stop working because, in fact, it's hard to get to work, right? If your bus drivers stop working, um, if you take the bus to work and you don't have a car, which most people at this time did not, right – how to get to work you could walk but if you live far enough away and remember a lot of the people mentioned who are doing the strikes they're they're living in slums right
3: well no the, the, i think the. Or, slum uh, sorry, were separated not, from not the doing, strikers yeah no no yeah, not, yeah. Do, not living in uh, yeah, i'm sorry doing I, I think the violence an important point they didn't I don't think have that's yes significant
0: no 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 yeah i, I agree completely um i, I also want to uh this is a really good thing paul Distancing yourself yeah. from the from the current stuff. I'm distanced. I'm in Canada. It, I care about what goes on in the United States a lot because of the way Canada's fucked up uh, psychology works. I think I've talked about this before. Basically, we lord ourselves over you. As Canadians, we look and say we're better than you. So until you get better, we can't get better. That's our logic, right? We say, oh, look at how unprepared... The, you know, American president is to deal with this. The CDC is not funded, blah, blah, blah. We can lord ourselves and be happy with what we've got. But until you go up, we can't go up. That's why I care. So I'm distanced. I, I, it's not my country, right? I'm not an American. I, I like Americans, but I'm not in that country. I don't have to live around it. And, be, you know, provinces actually have more authority than states do. As well, oh, so really? oh yeah, I
2: wasn't sure about that.
0: Oh yeah, I mean we we, you know, you all also have a federal government. We correct? do, we do, but the federal government, you know, you know, rather it, than a national government. Yes, it's a it's a confederation, right? But you know, the provinces run the healthcare, and provinces run the uh, you know a lot of the things that we care about. Like in BC, we care a lot about ferries, you know, getting people over to the island back and forth, and. And that's all provincially run, right? So I
3: think America's like that. We just like, um, like the for example, our like healthcare program for poor people, Medicaid, it's administered by the states, right? Even if it's like mostly paid for by the federal government. But
0: but you know we we when we complain about healthcare, we have there's equalization payments and all sorts of stuff. But but the the main thing is you know we don't have a massive army. You know our navy's relatively small. You know our air force, all you know, it's all one integrated sort of. So the the feel of the you know we're sort of isolated and by ourselves. And when we want change, provincial change is where we see it. We have a GST, Goods and Services Tax, right, Uh, which is something you guys don't have. It's sort of a uh, they call it a value added tax in the UK. Oh, okay. Right, Uh, that's federally, but we also have a provincial one. And yeah, they harmonized it so that it's. You know, a little more convenient for, uh, but but the the the, field, the everyday field, is that the province runs things, and we sort of flip flop between what used to be a party called Social Credit, and that's a whole other thing, right? Um,
3: uh, I'm so obsessed with Social Credit. It's so you can interesting. Do a on and, that. Yeah, like, absolutely.
0: I, I think there's a Heinlein novel. There is a Heinlein novel that deals with it, and I'd like to talk about that, so maybe we could do that. But um, I I, want to distance you a little more, Paul, so that you can see and feel why this is important, okay? Because you're going to like this. Uh, If you go to the Wikipedia entry for General Strike, the very first thing that it talks about under history is in antiquity. And there's a nice bit from H.G. Wells that says... An early predecessor of the general strike may have been the Sessio Plebis in ancient Rome. In the outline of history, H.G. Wells recorded, quote, The general strike of the the plebeians, the plebeians seem to have invented the strike, which now makes its first appearance in history. The first strike occurred because they, quote, saw with indignation their friends who had often served the state bravely in the legions, thrown into chains and reduced to slavery at the demand of the patrician creditors. So, When I was taught, I took history in university. I went to university for 16 years. I'm very proud of this fact. It's kind of ridiculous, but I really enjoyed going to university. I hated high school, and I was not a fan of elementary school, but I loved university. So I just kept going, and uh, my mom eventually said, you've got to fucking graduate at some point. And I'm like, no, I kind (laughs) of like it. So anyways, I eventually stopped. (laughs) Um, I I took everything. And I loved history, but they didn't teach it the way I'd like things to be taught. So I tend to get the
2: pedagogy right The, the was not aligned with well, your educational We talked about, we needs, talked yes. about
0: uh, in my history classes, we talked, uh, in one of them, we talked about how the patricians and the, the plebeians had these, this relationship and how there was this citizen group, right, that a citizen's assembly. I'll just read the next section here. Wells noted that, quote, the patricians made a mean use of their political advantages to grow rich through the national conquests at the expense not only of the defeated enemy, but of the poorer plebeian. Unquote. The plebeians who were expected to obey the laws, but were not allowed to know the laws, which the patricians were able to recite from memory, were successful in winning the right to appeal any injustice to the General Assembly. In 450 BC, so this is all pre-empire, right? This is republic. In a yeah, concession is, resulting this is
2: early Republic, Rome is right. not much of anything at this point.
0: Resulting from the rebellion of the Publians, the law of Rome were written for all to peruse. So, what's
2: I mean, important? Four hundred and fifty is actually the second secession. The first secession is like four ninety something. That's that's when the tribune of the plebs was first created. Four hundred and fifty was the second, a uh, bigger that se- tribune of the complex. plebs, where
0: can that guy, I, uh, where, where that a guy came from. Question? Yeah, just one second. Yeah. I'm just going to finish this. Yeah. Where that tribune of the plebs came from, and I know you're a big fan of tribunes and the Roman history, Paul, is because of a general strike. When every plebeian says, you think you can run this, this city that needs to be cleaned and watered and housed and all that? Fine. And they all leave. They actually go like a, it's a religious uh, exit from the city. And they say, you run things, Right. <laughs> And they're like, oh, shit, we can't run things, right? They can't run things without everybody. That's what a strike is, whether you block the streets or you uh, can get all together as a group if things get hard enough, right? All these ex-soldiers who did their duty to their country are now being treated like they're nothing. That's where that tribune and that idea of an untouchable representative comes from. Right. Every gain that the plebeians got was not given to them. It was taken, right? It was says, this is the negotiation. We're going to walk out. And, and it, it, it's really, this is a fascinating Wikipedia entry. Whoever wrote it or whoever, whoever's wrote it um, added a lot of really interesting things. Like talking about how, you know, when the South lost the war and all these black people start leaving it's kind of like a general strike, ain't it? They yes, just yes, head north. Is. Du
3: Bois talked about that. That's what. That's how Du Bois uh, characterized um, uh, what happened uh, in the early stages of the Civil War uh, when the here. war broke out. Um, a lot of people just walked off the plantations, uh, and uh, Du Bois was the first one to like frame that in like the terminology
0: of the labor movement. Yeah, he said. I've got the quote from him right here. Uh, from Black Reconstruction in America. That's just the greatest book ever. (laughs) Transforming itself suddenly from a problem of abandonment plantations and slaves captured while being used by the southern enemy for military purposes, the movement became a general strike against the slave system on the part of all who could find opportunity. The trickling streams of fugitives swelled to a flood. Once begun, the general strike of black and white went madly and relentlessly on like some great saga. It, 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 that's where it's, it's like an inciting incident, right? Um, and if you mm-hmm. they if you, say that
3: Lincoln freed the slaves, well, sort of, sort of. He, <laughs>
0: he lit the match that, uh, freed the slaves, right?
3: Yeah, the, the, the slaves actually walked off the plantations, picked up guns, and like killed people.
0: And it, but notice it's not just, it's, it's, there are white people who are doing it too. It, yeah. It's, 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 it's not about race, and it, uh, it, it was about – race was a way of dividing people, right? It was about domination. <laughs> it's, it's so funny that, like, um, you see – divide
2: et impera, as the Romans would say, divide and conquer. Yeah. Yeah,
0: that's and, exactly it. And you see this, like, um, indentured servitude is for white people right? and slavery is for black people.
3: They, and they had to make up the concept of black people and white people to, like, convince slaves and indentured servants from making common cause. Like, the, the idea doesn't crop up until there's uh, legal documents in the 17th century in Virginia. Um, the, uh, uh, you know, back in the home countries, uh, they were looking at, like, these, like, legal decisions from Virginia being, like, what, what's this black people, white people, what are you doing? Uh, and somebody had to explain to them, no, no, no. Uh, they kept trying to, like, you know, like, rebel and do bad things to us until we, like, convinced some of them that they were better than the other ones.
0: So uh, I basically, just what I'm saying, like, when I was being taught this in university, I think that the reason I was being taught uh, about how these changes actually happened, we just examined the structures. Like, there was this, the the Tribune of the Plebs, and the Plebs had this, their own assembly meeting eventually, uh, the laws of the plebs are applied to all, not just the uh, – and uh, eventually you get plebs who can become uh, senators and blah, blah. Like how w- – how we saw that it evolved, but we weren't – and I think the reason is the teacher didn't know, right, how these evolutions came. And I think that that's sort of our problem, right, is that how is it that Canada has a different system, well, there was yeah, a big well, strike. I think
3: there's a, there's probably a few reasons for that. But oh the, yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, the um que- the clarifying question though I have about the plebeians yeah. is: so the plebeians are Roman citizens, right? There's yes. also slaves.
0: Yes, there's also slaves, and there are obviously there were slave revolts that are famous in Spartacus and such um and, well the plebeians
2: the are not slaves they're just lower class romans yeah they're so they, definitely there a, romans. I, I, I mean i mean patricians the, the, the are the slave, yeah the slave the slave results the servile wars are completely different that's a completely different sort of ball game and if you no, think no,
0: about paul if you think about like why julius caesar was stabbed right by his buddies uh class doesn't usually come into it but that might be the actual explanation
2: well, well, well i i mean i mean he was immensely popular with with with, with the plebeians because
0: and he was saying to the soldiers, i will honor your your uh demands I am your advocate even though he's a he's a patrician. I, I'm, I'm, he's betraying working, his class I'm
2: working for you the lower yeah the, you the common people against so the, all his, against his high school buddies,
0: brutus and Oh, Cassius, Cassius and- right? They, they don't want to stab him because they think he's like them. But <laughs> it's like we're told, uh, I mean, we're told that Caesar is is the, uh, you know, he, he's the first dictator. Uh, he's the first uh, emperor before he's an ev- even an emperor. But uh, maybe he's just somebody from the upper class who's, who's actually, like, we don't know. We're only looking at it for... We have his writings. He sounds it, it, like he it, had it, a very it, inflated it, self-image. It sounds like oh, that. It,
2: oh, he he, de- he definitely had he definitely was very self-dealing and very self self aggrandizing. But he was not even the first in that tradition. I mean, you you want to go back to yeah, Solon, Marius, of and, and the not, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah and the, that's the where Glockies I feel are we others. are
0: now. Right, we've got the Facebook or, private soldiers. <laughs> we've got the Twitter private soldiers. Yeah. Um, for all these, you know, what was that, a few years ago, they kept changing their name, Sand, Sandblast or Blackwater. They
2: oh, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, Eric Prince. And, right. And, uh, yeah.
0: His whole thing is like, let me, Trump, let me take over the war in Afghanistan. And Trump's like, well, we'll see how we could do it. I don't know. We'll, we'll, I'm not sure how this works. <laughs> but basically, yeah. he wants to, you know, have his own private army run things. And then when they come back, we're going to have... We see this in Dashiell Hammett, right? Dashiell Hammett is he's Pinkerton, who comes back from these domestic anti-union wars, fighting literally like in 1909. There was
3: like a massacre in Ludlow, Colorado. Like, like you know, they just like the soldiers came out and like killed the striking miners and and their families. He
0: doesn't come out and say, you know, what I did was great. He says what I did was what I did. Right? In his writings. Yeah. His his writings are, that's what I was, uh, you know, everybody needs a job. <laughs> and uh, they had these ads in the back of the magazines. I just tweeted one of them, become a detective. Right? Well, yeah, you're a Pinkerton detective, but basically you're a mercenary. You go where they tell you to go. You muscle the people the way you, you're you being told to muscle them. And uh, if you have the yeah. backing of the cops, which you will, because he's friends with a guy who runs the police department right then you're good you're golden and your your pay is slightly better than those of the people you're hitting
3: yeah the in in this story the uh the phenomenon of these people uh in the the vocabulary of the labor movement of eastern kentucky we call them gun thugs Mm -hmm. um uh you know they uh you know they're just kind of absent from this story yes um, so uh, I don't know if the Pinkertons, I, I think, jo- the, the you know, there's a funny here's a here's a funny piece of history. Uh, the Pinkertons that they became another security company and then another security company. But anyway, the the current security company that used to be the Pinkertons um, are uh, represented by a labor union.
2: <laughs> well, the Pinkertons are still around, uh, that, right? Life life is ironic sometimes.
3: Yeah, yeah. But the uh, um uh. I think the plebeian thing might actually be a good uh way of thinking about the like school of socialism that mm-hmm. Jack London belongs to and um, and and H G Wells
0: who's writing about this, right?
3: Yeah, yeah, and like and I, I don't necessarily mean that as a compliment either. Um so, you know, you have the plebeians and we're very concerned about them and you know they do have grievances against uh the patricians. Uh but uh you know, absent it, like their concern is that they're going to be turned into slaves.
0: Yeah, at, or treated yeah, like not, not subject to the law, not 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 uh, uh, protected by the law.
3: Yeah, so um, so like I'm really focused on these slum dwellers in this story because, um, you know, like they're shown to be starving too, yep. and like the ILW has their relief mission or whatever. Well, there's uh, red lines, but, right? Right, right, right they're but they're, they're
2: suffering. They're they're the ones that it looks like the the rich wind up tangling with and are causing the, the social strife the deaths and the, sla- the, the slaughter especially outs- outside it it kind of reminds me Jesse of 1984 where you have mm-hmm. where you have the part we have the party which the inner party and,
0: and the, the...
2: the the inner party the outer party and then you have the proletarians and the proletarians are just kind of like ignored they're the underclass and no one cares about and it's the outer party that actually is really oppressed by the state That's
0: you Paul that's you that's how I think That's... of you, and it's like i i i I think you're you're angry or upset about those snake emojis because you think that they're unjustified or somehow, but I think that it, it, that it, that was spont. i don't know how I didn't follow it that closely, but it seemed like it was spontaneous basically when when Elizabeth Warren did that thing, she did that turn on stage and said you you said to me." I mean, it, it, it was leaked before that, right? That, so we knew it was a preview. We we saw that it was going to be coming. It was like, you said to me this, and either you believe her or you believe him, right? I didn't believe her. <laughs> but if you believe him, and it says, I didn't say that, right? And she says, uh-huh. are you calling me a liar? He isn't saying, I'm calling you a liar. But we all know that that's what he's By not supporting her claim... Right? It could be a he said, she said situation, but it's only she saying. Right? He doesn't say a bad word about anybody. That's why, I mean, that's really his problem. Bernie's problem is he says, I've got uh, this friend of mine, Joe Biden, who he will absolutely be able to beat Trump, (laughs) which is absolutely not true. I mean, you saw what was uh, yesterday happening. This
3: is my problem with the Democratic Socialists and like, no offense to any of my democratic socialist friends who might listen to this show, um, is Rose they really Twitter. do relo- like, they really do want to form this, like, like cross, uh, cross class coalition with like people who just like, don't like them. Like, and it's just like, it, like, uh, I think so- the more sophisticated among the democratic socialists know this, like, you know, that coalition's not going to materialize unless there's like people in the streets. Yes. Like it's, uh, and, uh, the, uh, Uh, you know, uh, Bernie Sanders looks like a good option if he can like quell social strife. Um, but, uh, anyway, I, you know, uh, I think the problem with like the more angry among the like snake emoji people is that they like, uh, expect people who aren't their allies in real life to like act like their allies. And they're like really upset about it. But
0: Paul is a good person he's not a bad person he
3: no but like but like the uh you know the 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 inner party so to speak like, that, that's what i'm saying like the democratic I think he's, socialists want inner party i'm, I'm talking here, as if make, paul's
0: not here because he's not saying anything but basically yeah. <laughs> basically what i'm thinking is paul is in a position of of our hero in 1984 before he's even in that position I,
2: wow! I uh, never thought of myself as
0: Winston Smith, but okay, go on. I totally think so, and the reason why is because Winston Smith is still doing his job, right? And he's still, you know, at at the time in the in the novel where we see him, his health is poor, right? He's he's basically in despair. He doesn't like his work. sees he's farther along a path that you know. I don't want to put you on because. I don't want anybody to be on a path. But I, I think of, like, he he is basically ready for rebellion. Right? He's ready for a change. And when he's given this um, Olive Branch, this future, uh, you know, affair with with a girl who turns out to be, perhaps, you know, a spy from the beginning, right? That's like, it's the ultimate betrayal. But I uh, what do you think is like? You don't see her as betraying Bernie Sanders, right?
2: No, I don't.
0: But why? That's the question.
2: A bit, I mean, I mean, to betrayal, it's like what and in well, what she, way did uh, well, she well, betray one him? that? One thing that
0: one thing that some people have said is that she didn't endorse him when she needed to. She didn't drop out. I I don't. I don't even think it's that way. I think that the fact that she did that turn on stage she turns to him directly and says you said to me a woman couldn't be couldn't be president and i don't think anybody believed her i don't think you believed her D- you don't believe he actually said that I,
2: I i i don't know what actually that all that was this, I'm that very doesn't confused sound like by him, the entire right? exchange and what's behind what's 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 behind all that that would
0: be very it, out it, of it, character it, for
2: it, him. it was a how, let me have put this as put this as new possible: a naked political move on her part. But, but, the, but, the, the, but then to like say, oh, she's a snake, and 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 start treating her like she's the second coming of the Antichrist. And... No, I mean, I you should see some of the Bernie Bros on Twitter, Jesse. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's it's. I mean, I mean, it w- w- wasn't an aggressive political move on our part, yes. But this is this is a prime this is a primary and people are trying to become president. I mean, yeah, people, but if you pe- if you people were criticizing are him, you just
3: admitted that it was maybe unprincipled though. That's right. And so well, if uh, you're yeah, allied
0: with be- with him supposedly, she says in the earlier ones, Bernie and I agree on uh, Medicare for all, where where and he, he seemed to have signed a non-aggression pact with everybody, right? Um, she, she seemed to have signed on one with him. She was attacking everybody on stage except for him. So there is this sense that they were allied, right? And it maybe one day in the future, they're, uh, so I can see why the betrayal happened. I don't blame her for it. I think it's a re- revelation of character. I, I think Bernie's problem, is he has no killer instinct. He can't say, it's time to cut my losses here. This guy's actually hurting us. Right, that in fact, uh, uh, he, he it's almost like he—he he thinks everybody's his grandchild and everybody's savable, but insavable in, in the sense that you want to give them the dignity you—you you would want to be treated with, but he won't cut his—he will not even say a bad word against her. And when she says there are mean people on Twitter, no, and no. you need to hold them yeah, accountable. Yeah, but, um, yeah, he says, "Yeah, I agree. Don't I, we don't want any bad people." But she doesn't hold her people accountable. Nobody else holds their people accountable. So it's it's like you need to unilaterally disarm and agree that I am um, this this thing that I say you said about what happened and he disagrees about has to happen. It's like they they're using his his uh, his personality defect, which I think is probably what allowed him to even get where he is. Which is basically he's he makes friends with everybody even when they're. Basically, enemies of everybody, right? Like Joe Biden is is largely responsible for a lot of the bad things that happened in in the United States. He's responsible for the Iraq War. You know, he pushed he pushed Reagan to go harder right. Um, he's he wrote the crime bill. You know, he, he's he's a bad dude, right? He's not a good man.
2: He he, he is not. He is not my he prostituted. First, he said,
0: second, third, "I want to prostitute myself as a young. fifth choice." Right, but you—if you end up voting but for also, him, he's not a good man. Like, uh, like that's, thats the main thing. Is I, I, he's a—I—I
2: I, I mean, the low bar is he's better than Trump. In what sense is he better?
0: Is he going to kill don't fewer people? I know if he's better than Trump. i, I think that that's um, a mistake. I, I, Trump's incompetent. I, I,
2: I, but, but Trump is—is is so uniquely terrible <laughs> on—not—not—not not, not only from a political point of view, just because of just a, just a benal incompetent. I mean, look, see, follow, see following the coronavirus that he's that he's anybody, absolutely anybody is better.
0: What's that? He is absolutely incompetent. But right. maybe you so, want incompetent over somebody who can get shit done that will fuck people up more. Like, uh, like if you think I, of the debt so, peonage,
2: I, in, I, in I think we're, eight, I think no, we're
3: no.
0: afield a little bit. But, we are a little
3: I mean, afield. But I think but, it's, but also, it's about like, that sense. Like, inst- like, in terms of like, Numbers of wars started, like lots of other metrics, like is like Donald Trump like uniquely worse he's than killed president fewer than Bush? Obama
0: in you know by this time. So I, 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 if you just go by that metric of how many people you killed, I think he's he's a better president than Obama. Obviously, he's he's uh, you know a bad person and immoral. He's he, a lot of people point out that he's the funniest president. Um, I think if if you want to go for funny, Biden's going to be even funnier, because he's like Reagan at the end, <laughs> but he's going to be starting that way. I mean, it's going to be a, it's going to, uh, it's just going to be a, <laughs> it's going to be a comedy of maybe the worst and last kind, right? But yeah, Trump is totally incompetent, venal, all those horrible things, but you don't replace him with somebody else. So I here's my thing is, you know, if you looked at her policies, they sounded okay until she actually showed you her actual detailed plan on them. And when, you know, he we know that that uh Sanders, you know, tried to get Elizabeth Warren to run in 2016 and when she wouldn't, that's when Sanders actually steps up, right? And says, okay, I'm going to do it because somebody needs to push this party to the left because not because he wants to be, he doesn't want to be president. It's it's like the perfect storm. That's exactly who you want to be president. Some guy who doesn't want to be president. Somebody who just wants to get some shit done so that people can be, be, like, he, you know, deep down, you know, he's on your side. It's just whether you think he can win and you, you know, he can win in a general that, that those numbers are, are better.
2: I am not convinced of that. The numbers show. I mean, well, but the the numbers are polls, and given the given the bedrock inherent conservatism of the American electorate, when when pedal hits the metal, as seen in elect. How many I'm, more
0: homeless people I, will have to be out on the street before I, I, you think that number will change?
2: I, I, well they don't vote. I understand
0: that, but from people being upset from a
2: political from point of, of view, there. I am in alignment with a lot of what Bernie says. Of course. But unfortunately, a lot of America by means of low information or disinformation or or political chicanery. Are going to take? I mean, let's 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 suppose Bernie overtakes Biden and becomes the nominee. It could happen. It's unlikely, but it could happen. Where I mean, things are changing day by day these days. So who knows? Let's suppose that he does that. I think Bernie's. I think the perception of a lot of the people who are voting, and unfortunately, that's that's only a quarter of quarter to half of the actual. Potential electorate are going to take one look at him and think, ah, socialist evil. And well, that's old folks, that's yeah, they've kind
3: of but they've depowered that a little bit by crying wolf too much. Yeah, um, I do think I do think there's real uh, there's like social dangers if Bernie wins uh, the primary, like it will energize the far right in a way that Biden won't. And like, uh, I don't think we're prepared for the uh, the backlash
2: yeah we saw that with Clinton I mean I mean Clinton Clinton for being a bad candidate in many ways she was, and her energi she, at, at, at she also, was running to
0: the right of Trump right
2: at, also and she in lost addition, in additional that also lost because a lot of a lot of sexism and far right. Just like, oh my god, we can't... No, I'm
3: talking about militia people coming out of the woodwork, man. Oh, like, so it's, that, it's that, not going to be oh, like... It's going like, it it to be more like Obama. It's going to be more like when Obama, like, uh, got elected uh, if Bernie wins the nomination. Like, those people, like... Uh, like, I think I, they, if, if you're if you're social yeah,
2: yeah, now comes now comes the, the revolution now now come now comes us we have to get our guns and stop stop the socialist sort of thing I see what you're saying well yeah I, yeah that,
3: like I, I think that there's going to be an uptick in terrorism if uh, uh, if Bernie if Bernie gets the nom and like if Bernie's elected like there's going to be a way there's going to be a big uptick in terrorism and like the deep state is not going to want to do anything about it like like because like I mean. You know, like, the FBI, like, maybe there's not a lot of, like, Nazis in the FBI, but, like, there are a lot of people who are functionally Nazis in U.S. police departments.
0: Well, yeah, yeah, they're they're not good people, yeah, (laughs) for sure. Yeah,
3: like, I mean, but I mean, like, just, like, they're, like, politically, like, you know, it's, I I think that, uh, I I think that you're right about Bernie's, uh, quote, character flaw, but I think it's, uh, I think it's more political than character-based, um, uh, he just likes getting that, stuff
0: done and, and he's got this personality where he I will work with anyone to get something done and
3: yeah and that's uh, it's, it's, it's a, it's a um, positive it's a weakness stuff. of democratic socialism um, from my perspective the uh, um, saying like you know it's sort of like we can work with anybody to accomplish anything but
0: like scientifically that's not true <laughs> well yeah but he you know he doesn't work with everybody but he will work with anybody right <laughs> yeah so, like if somebody's not willing to work with him, he doesn't work with them but if if you know he's aligned with somebody uh he will work with them so he's like uh, my joke is uh guillotine twenty twenty is my compromise candidate um it's because I think you know, the, you know how mask guillotines for the modern era you know uh I think if you don't start with a position that's uh you know strong, you're going to end up with a weaker position. That's just logical.
3: Well, yeah, that, that, uh, I, I, uh, you ask for um, a six,
0: a six hour work, work day, um, and you compromise on a seven, right?
3: I mean, you're only able to get to the new deal because there's like, like, uh, like exactly. the Russian revolution a has created an existential threat to, uh, um, like, like the rule of capital over labor, um, and like and then Paul,
0: you know, he's the only president elected four times, right? And he would have been elected the fifth and a sixth time too, ha- even even during a war, right? Because he was giving people what they want. That's not that was not conservatism. So the idea that the United States is very conservative, I think that that's the it's like who owns the the. Uh, TV stations. Who owns the newspapers? Yeah, those guys are conservative for sure. Yeah,
3: I do. I, I do. I keep. I keep wanting to bring this back to the slum dwellers because I think it's actually relevant to everything we're talking about. Like, so let's go back
2: to the story down. of the slum, Dwell, the slum well.
0: dwellers. Like, uh, so well, that, I uh, before before. Sorry, I, I I'm just going to use my executive privilege here. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You, I, I'm checking all my privilege boxes just to say that the reason I like science fiction is because. How I relate it to reality. I don't yeah. read fantasy for the same reason. I, I like how it can relate. So whenever you know people think we're going off topic, it's not off topic. I'm thinking about this stuff all day. Oh, that's why I think it's so funny. I, I made a homework list yesterday for people <laughs> to read. And it's like maybe it's a little... Vulgar or whatever, but I was saying you watch Survivors, the British UK series where everybody gets wiped out. Y'all read Scarlet Plague, where everybody gets wiped out by a plague, and uh, I can make like five or six lists like this where it's just you know here is a movie, here is a TV show, and here is an audiobook, and they're all going to tell you about how how to survive the uh, plague apocalypse that is upon us.
2: Right? So have you you seen Carriers,
0: Jesse? uh, Yes, I, I think that's a low budget show. Movie. Yeah, it's a low budget. I like yeah, it. Yeah, with yeah, it's good. Yeah, I, I would.
2: I rec- I recently discovered it. It's 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 dark as hell, but yeah. Yeah, no, it's
0: a good. It's a it's a solid little movie. I quite liked it. I think I reviewed it at some point. Sorry, you go go back, executive. No, I think all these things. Yeah, the, I, and I'm going to relate these slum dwellers back
3: to real world topics. Like that's that's why I'm returning to them mm-hmm. um, because, well, basically. Um, so, like, the political subject in this story is the ILW. Like, everything is... Uh, like, that's the center of gravity here, is the, uh, you know, uh, the the proletariat in work uh, was able to accomplish this general strike. They uh, were so well-organized that, uh, you know, they were able to have, like, months' worth of food beforehand. Uh, they were like, we knew we were going to go on strike for, like, you know, however long the story is. So we're prepared for that. Um, uh, and then like just totally outside of politics, uh, we have the slum dwellers, uh, and, uh, non-unionized,
0: uh, non-unionized, uh, workers and, unemployed. and the
3: unemployed, Yeah, uh, you know, uh, so the, you know, there's two ways to think about these people, right? Uh, from a Marxist perspective, one is say, okay, this is the lumpen proletariat. Like,
0: what's that you know, mean? What's the lumpen part?
3: The, yeah. The, so lumpen means they're like, you know, like the criminal element. Um, they give you the you know, lumps. they're outside of work. <laughs> uh, there's a, um, you know, like if you look at Marx's actual writing, he says, you know, the lumpen proletariat is actually made up of all classes, made up of people from all classes of society that they just kind of Lumped fall out together? of society. Um, so you can think of the slum dwellers as the lumpen proletariat, or you can think of the slum dwellers as, um, the reserve army of labor. Um, this is another Marxist concept. Mm -hmm. Basically the idea is you structurally keep a lot of people unemployed, uh, so that, um, it holds the wages down of the people who are in work because they're like very replaceable. Um, and you know, so, uh, and looking at these two things, you could think, oh, we could mobilize these people as people as scabs, uh, mm-hmm. in the story mm-hmm. if they're lumpen proletarians. Um, uh, but they don't get mobilized as scabs in the story either. Right. Uh, that's, that's not something that happens. So they're actually, I would posit there's something else. And that's, uh, they're like, uh, the section of the workers that are unorganized, they're like, uh, more oppressed than the workers who are organized, generally speaking, um, Uh, If you look at the history of uh, the socialist movement, like the first stratum that always gets organized are the, um, you know, uh, the skilled laborers uh, sections of what you would call the petty bourgeoisie, even uh, usually form like the kernel of socialist and communist parties before they become mass parties. Uh, They also like usually form the kernel of like labor unions before they become mass labor unions. Um, uh, So that's like kind of who's like, like the stratum here, right? Um, and I think like what Bernie says about what he needs to win is he has to like bring these people into a politics who are not into po- who are not in politics right now um and we have the i l w is like able to win even though you have this like huge like section of the population that's not in politics like you know isn't supportive of their goals could actually like work to undermine their goals and are like being harmed by their political
0: program amazing,
3: yeah, so I just think and like if you go back to the plebeians too there's the there's the slaves right like uh at the end of the day the plebeian the plebeians are aligned with the patricians against the slaves
0: right and so, so those are uh, the lumpens yeah
3: yeah well the plebeians i think are they're more uh in a society where there are slaves
0: the plebeians are middle class oh actually i'm thinking that, no maybe the plebeians are the lumpens because the slaves always have guaranteed work right they're
2: Slaves, <laughs> um, um, guaranteed. Were no. I mean, yeah, no, that, seriously, that's, uh, it's uh, interesting because you, know, you, you make you right? make a
3: point there. Like they don't, uh, they they don't have security, is what you're saying. Um, the uh, yeah. So it, it, I guess in I guess fact, I just, uh,
0: yeah. I mean, you think about the mobility that you see in in Roman society for slaves, as opposed to the mobility you see in in uh, American society for slavery. It, it's, it is, it's crazy much, it, different right
2: yeah right because well, it's basically, Romans the legs could kind, basically it's yeah they the, could buy their own freedom and but become, you know they
0: run the government and they 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 end up being everything except uh you know a, a part of the plebeian class they 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 can own they, businesses. They, 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 they,
3: Capitalist they, they, slavery was they a own, new Slaves have in the slaves, history of the world. Right? Right? Like, like the kind of slavery that existed sure. in the U.S. South, existed in the Caribbean and Latin America was like very, different, very than the different forms than of slavery from, that existed yeah. like in other parts but today, of the
0: world. You know, you see the the people who, uh, you know, the blacks who were enslaved as a class or as a as an ethnic group or whatever, non-ethnic a group.
3: Series of nationalities. Right.
0: Um, and then lumped together and broken apart and destroyed. Created a new nationality. Right. Um, you've got the the people today who are their descendants have the ability to, you know, be, you know, like Colin Powell. You know, you can be amongst the upper echelon if not actually uh, running things, right? You can, you can be, be Othello. You can be in the club and... Yeah, uh, no, they're more than Othello, you know, like uh, no, Annalisa but, Rice. You know, like
3: it's that kind of figure, right? Like, right. I mean, but, I guess Barack you know. Obama was president of the United well, States. Well, yeah, but
0: you know, because he, you know, his his uh, parentage is not from. Yeah, you're right. He's
3: he's a Kenyan
0: American. Yeah, I mean, well. Sort of, whatever. I mean, he's Hawaiian. <laughs> whatever. Well,
3: but yeah, he's a he's a Kenyan. Yeah, like but his would, par-
0: that, his dad that. is from Kenya, right? So that the fact that he didn't have this history of slavery within the United States as his background, you could somehow exclude him. But I'm thinking like Condoleezza Rice or Colin Powell, people who are high up in you know the administration. They are not uh, in the same position as as uh, a Roman slave. Is but they are very close to it in the sense that you know the the descendants of uh, former slaves can do everything except for maybe you know hold uh, hold. In fact, you know a lot of the later generals were or later emperors right are not local Romans. They're you know imports. So it's there was a mobility there that we don't see i guess in in uh in the late 20th uh, early 20th century and late 19th century that we saw it's it's very interesting or may, maybe um maybe I'm going in the wrong direction but um thinking of uh Disraeli you know being the prime minister of of England that was a, that was like a big surprise right i mean <laughs> it, even if he does change religions and you know the fact that he could, he, uh, you know, from a, uh, second class citizens and all that stuff. It's, it's, it, it, this story isn't about race at all. I think that's so, what's so interesting. I don't think there's a single black, uh, or Brown or red person mentioned.
3: Yeah. That's, that's very typical of the like dominant trend in the like socialist party at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, Debs was to the left of them. Like, uh, so, like, the socialists, like, were against legal discrimination against black people. So they were, like, you know, like, very radical for the time. Um, and, 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 but,
0: and there's no gender in this either, is there?
3: Yeah. And they were also against, like, legal discrimination against women. They wanted special protections for women at work. Um, they were for suffrage. Uh, and they had, like, you know, uh, there were, like, you know, women's organizations within the Socialist Party. Sure. Um uh what uh but the the dominant trend in the socialist party and jack London fell into this um uh, you know was like uh you know just like had notions of anglo saxon supremacy or uh uh german supremacy um it's like Uh, the only reason the American socialist party opposed world war one, uh, was because there were so many Germans in the party, Mm -hmm. um, uh, like people who like understood themselves to be German. Um, but their, uh, you know, their political position was we're against formal discrimination. Um, but we certainly don't, uh, have anything special to like offer blacks or women. And, uh, if, uh, you know, you're, like, raising these, like, questions of, like, racial oppression or national oppression of black people. This is, like, um, like, we're just against this, totally. Um, uh, the, uh, they were, like, very upset by the idea of it and, uh, just, like, kind of had, uh, these, like, kind of like fake scientific notions about like the way the race is related to each other. Mm-hmm. Um oh,
0: it, it was uh, every like some people talk about how Lovecraft is, you know, uniquely racist. Absolutely not true. I read the magazines that it was everybody was talking about eugenics and the people who who weren't weren't getting published in magazines, right? I'm am reading it and like everybody's fucking believing in this shit. No, if you didn't talk about it, that was the exception.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So the um uh So, you know, that's, like, so that's, like, why, like, um, you know, the multinational character of, like, the U.S. working class, uh, doesn't come out in this story, um, even though, like, you know, uh, like, even the, like, rightist faction of the Socialist Party was multinational, it had, like, Anglo-Saxons and Germans in it, Mm -hmm. um, the, uh, uh, I was going somewhere with this, um, oh, basically, uh, what, uh, uh what the uh you guys are uh you know, you guys uh if we can say that I'm like a child, I can call you guys old men. <laughs> uh like so as old men like you, you know, you all have both you all have both studied US history, um, you know, um like the political formation that in like, you know, nineteen in the nineteen teens or in the this was in the first decade of the uh Uh, 20th century this story we're reading is um the political formation that like was the socialist party and most of the other imperialist countries like you know went on to become one of the dominant political parties uh in those societies uh of course uh you know it changed its political program it changed its class character like these sorts of things to like accomplish that goal um uh, and in Canada, you know, it remained a third party, but in the United States, it ceased to exist, yes. uh, for a time. Um, now, uh, uh, you guys as, uh, you know, learned people, like, what would you say was the reason that happened? I have the reason that I think that happened. That's a little bit different than what most people well,
0: say. Well, I think most people would probably say that the Reds, the Red Scare was very successful. Um, crushing the communists and anybody who's associated with them. Um, I, I also think, at least... Which Red right Scare? There. Well, that's right. There's so many, right? So I I, I guess, obviously, the 50s one is... Uh, there was that turn, I love the turn, where, you know, it's Uncle Joe. And we're not talking about Uncle Joe Biden here. We're talking about Uncle Joe Uncle, Stalin.
3: Joseph, uh, Stalin, uh, right? Uncle, Uncle Joseph Stalin. Right? Uncle Joe Stalin. right? Wow, He's our ally.
0: Great. He's our ally in the war. There's propaganda films showing... You know, and, uh, you know, when you see those soldiers embracing, I don't think any of that's fake. I think that's all real when, you know, first uh, Americans and Soviets meet each other. Yeah, there's some danger there, but there's also some, like, holy shit, what did we just do? We just fucking won this thing, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's some real united shit there, right? And then the turn, (laughs) like, what, 1948, basically, it's wars, uh, Cold War's on and it's hot. Right.
3: Yeah. So, so uh, I'm. So uh, usually the reason that like the American Socialist Party is said to like not exist anymore mm-hmm. um, uh, was the the first Red Scare around World War One. Yeah. Um, the uh, uh, people say this. Um, so you know, Debs went to prison. Um, uh, the industrial workers of the world, the real life analog to the ILW, um, is like. Uh, defeated for a number of reasons. You know, there's like massive state repression. Um, You know, there's some uh, Monday morning quarterbacking that could be done on some of the strategies that they pursued. Um, But uh, you know, like large portions of uh, the population that was foreign born is like rounded up, sent to other countries. Uh, People are thrown in jail. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Magazines are like forced to stop publishing. Like the feds show up and like break them down. And then there's like vigilante violence uh, against these people as well. Like it's never just the state that is like involved in political repression. It's always like uh, the state. Well, that's where the
0: Pinkertons come in, right? Yeah, the
3: state and the state supporters in society, and then also the hired thugs. Like so, there's there's all of those people involved in that. Um, But um, but
0: FDR quells it too, right?
3: But but that that's later, right? Like we're talking about like the nineteen teens is when the the socialists really disappear off the map um, uh, in the United States. Like after World War One, they like really don't exist anymore. They have like the rest of the world socialist movement. They have this uh, catastrophic split um, after the Bolshevik Revolution. Uh, but in most countries, you know, um, uh, the communists didn't go on to form their own party. But the socialists, like, they remained as a political party and, like, eventually become a party in government. Um, outside of a few municipalities in the United States, that never happened.
0: Um, yeah, Bernie like Sanders being so- mayor of Vermont, right? Well, yeah, and he, or, well, he sorry, was sorry, like in Sorry, the- Burlington, not Bur- or, Vermont. Yeah,
2: or like in Minnesota, there was, there was a farmer labor party that eventually merged with the democrat party become the dfl which is what it's still called today here in minnesota
3: yeah yeah so there's the there's the farmer labor movement that's like adjacent to the socialist movement as well um so it like gets absorbed like the actual personnel do get like absorbed into i also the Democratic think party. The
0: libertarianism strain of americans it, it, it's like
3: american exceptionalism is it's, like it's
0: going in the other direction they say you know what, what, what the way this like we just don't have that up here, that idea, you know, walking down the street and meet a kid who's a libertarian. They exist. They're just very rare. It's not sort of like a common thing. And I think that it's like having that as a a constitutionally different personality in that the United States is with the liberty and justice and you know being in that in the Mindset. It's like going in that direction is another way to go, just in the same way that going in the religious direction, you know, with, you remember in the eight you oh, know, some of us will remember in the 80s, because we were born before then, that there was a lot of religion in the US uh, government <laughs> and politics uh, yeah, I think back that, in the day.
3: Yeah, uh, I think that continued through the 2000s.
0: Yeah, um, ish, ish, but you know, Obama's not a a massive church goer. I know he didn't. No,
3: I, I, but I mean, the the Bush administration definitely ish. though.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, but not compared to like Reagan. I yeah,
3: mean, you know, I mean, it was it was newer. It had stronger zest. I think all these things are like reasons that gets discussed. There's also uh, a reason that the socialists failed in the United States that gets put up uh, put out a lot is um, official racism in the United States. Like, so both Canada and United. And the United States are, like, uh, you know, genocidal Mm -hmm. uh, settler nations, like, both horribly racist countries in terms of, like, how they came about. Yep. Um, And, you know, there's, like, that's just a thing that happened. Uh, But in the United States, we had this, like, uh, you know, special class of uh, laborer uh, that was, um, you know, understood to be a different nationality, had a different culture and had a different legal status uh, based on. Uh, These, like, scientific theories Mm -hmm. uh, that were made up to support chattel slavery. Um, So, you know, all these things are factors. But uh, one thing that the socialists didn't do, that the communists did do, um, uh, was try to get, like, the, uh, you know, the real world equivalent to these slum dwellers, like, into their political organization. Mm. Uh, Another piece of American history that's not really taught is uh, that... The Communist Party was huge. Like, like there was a point in time. Yeah, where that's why there's so
0: many people yeah. being interviewed about it,
3: right? Yeah, yeah. Like the Communist Party was huge, um, and it picks up where the Socialist Party uh, left off. Like the uh, the foreign language associations of the Socialist Party um, split off. Uh, uh, then there's like the like native born left wing of the Socialist Party that splits off, and you know they eventually find a way to merge and become one Communist Party. Uh, but, um, you know, their political program was, uh, we're like, you know, we're going to organize the homeless people. We're going to organize like the black sharecroppers and, uh, you know, they were just actually better adapted to the real conditions of American life than the socialists who were like only focused on like people in the skilled trades and, uh, you know, like, like people who are part of society, not like the slum dwellers. So I mean, I do think there's something here to that. I also think uh, the
0: geography of the United States has a lot to do with just you know the ability to when shit hits the fan and things suck, you can just move. Like
3: yeah, imperial like another way to play that say that is like imperialism has like played a role in uh, the like relative lack of development of the labor movement of the United States. Like Mm -hmm. the United States existed uh, as a place for like Europe to send all of its people that like uh you know couldn't make it in european society mm-hmm. um so mm-hmm. it like it resolves the class contradiction in europe a little bit and then there's the more United extra
0: lumping too you can always the, 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 the class and buckets. also religious
2: yeah class and also religious i mean i mean I, I mean a lot of that early a lot a lot of that driving was also religious base as well as class mm-hmm. base but that but, but it kind of lumps into the same thing It's kinda of like United States was a safety, United States was a safety valve for a lot of Europe that way.
3: And was yeah, yeah. a safety
0: and, valve for the United States when Vietnam happens, right? And you
3: can just own pro like right. there's li- always li- the frontier. You can always go steal property That's from right. Indians and right. like you can have property that way. You That's can like right. not be a proletariat. You're not a proletarian if you're like a dirt farmer, even if you're like like poor and terrible. <laughs> um uh so I mean that's just the thing uh, in our mm-hmm. politics. Uh, so you know there's all these factors, um, but uh, I don't know. I just I just thought it was interesting. You see the slum dwellers. You see the people who aren't involved in politics. Uh, the people who are outside of society um, as just being like you know they like beat up some rich people, but they're like a non it, like, they're a non factor in the story. The I W will conceivably you know, bring about, like, a society that, like, is able to civilize those people. It's not discussed.
0: I want to um, – I, I got to wrap this up, unfortunately, because my student's coming. Uh, he's going to be coming online. I already pushed him away for a half hour. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Sorry about that, Jesse. Uh, it's okay.
0: Um, but I do have um, – I, I was looking through. I, I, I was trying to f- see what I would written about Dream of Debs and – um and uh jack london in the past um and i've came you know on twitter and i came across um a tweet from february 16th 2019 7 a.m so it's a dream Dreamt, a lost sequence of three novels by Jack London. Each built up an idea, then wiped the slate clean. The last ending in a scene in which the horrified protagonist, trapped in a maze built of bookshelves, fights an infection by ultimately setting the labyrinth and himself alight.
2: That wow. that, sounds, that, sounds, that sounds almost a little bit like um, Name of the Rose.
0: <laughs> it also fits our subject today. Um, yes. In which he, you know, Jack London oh. rewrites the same story three times, basically as the the dream of the dream. Deb's the. Uh, the, the there's play. one thing
2: I want to mention about mm-hmm. I, I want to mention about the world of Dream and Deb's that before we leave, it's like and they they talk about whips and beating ups. There's no guns in the story. A oh yeah, mo- there's, a mo- there's, a,
0: there's a shotgun uh, shell incident uh, one, when one. he goes to his I, estate where his his gardeners defended himself against. Uh, a, a right. mob, right, and, and but, shotgun right, shells in a circle around where he's been attacked from all sides, right?
2: But but it, it's it's I mean I mean it's it's a lot less gun oriented than if these events actually happened today would be. Given, given, I mean, maybe maybe America wasn't so crazily armed in 1909, it was, but now, uh, but now, was they, much they, more violent than like <laughs> right. right but, but but the why is the IRLW armed to the the, with guns I as think well? I think the as
0: reason bricks? is this is actually despite all the horror that happens in it, this is actually a a positive dream.
2: Oh yeah, yeah it's an optimistic. Oh, it's it's the optimistic, optimistic way story, this right?
0: goes in the you know you don't want. A, you know a massacre you want things to be changed i think you would get a massacre well it, it sometimes happens that way and it well i mean,
3: I mean it, it actually i mean you know at the time that's how the labor question would i mean the guys even talk to each other in the club about it right yeah. they're like uh, like their friend reminds them or anderson cooper reminds them that you know <laughs> yeah you guys did all these really nasty things to these people like like you're being ridiculous <laughs>
0: I want to I wanna just mention this. Uh, there are ways of looking at history as, you know, if you look at it the right way, maybe it explains it a lot more. I don't understand why people like watching hockey exactly, but it's very popular in Canada, beer drinking, hockey, that sort of thing. Right now we don't have... Uh, are
2: you a real a... Canadian?
0: Uh, I'm, I'm not really, Paul. Called. I'm a British Columbian, born and bred. I've lived a little bit in Alberta, but I haven't been east of Drumheller, so I can't really speak to being i'm from this place this part of bc i've lived in other parts of bc but i'm i'm really you know this this i am who i am because of my geography so i i don't i don't love canada i i love some of the things that are in canada i love some people who live in other parts of canada that's cool i like americans too um but the important part is uh we have a tradition especially in vancouver that if you look at it as a phenomenon, it's hard to understand, but if you look at it uh, with, like, there's this general unrest and dislike of something, but it can't be understood. We have a tradition, every time the Canucks win a hockey tournament that isn't the final, you know, Stanley Cup, there's a riot, right? The Stanley Cup riots are a thing. If, If the Canuck team, the Vancouver hockey team, it's close enough to winning and they win, there's a riot. If they don't win, there's a riot. The idea that this is just, you know, ho- hockey hooligans, I think is is absolutely possible, but I also think you can interpret it as, this is sort of mass psychology. When you get a bunch of people on the streets they don't like stuff, they will express their anger, and that is sort of a way of understanding a psychology on mass that you can't understand just by saying it's a riot. You, you know, they read the also, riot what, what act.
2: Fan, also, what is fan short for? Fanatic.
0: Well, they ran, the, yes. you know, they read the riot act to the people in, um, in Winnipeg. You know, they say anybody who's out on the street here after this point, they're going to be a subject to arrest and perse- prosecution, blah, blah, blah. They do the same thing in a hockey riot, but they don't call it, you know, a general strike um that's maybe the slum dwellers the um uh, the i mean demographically who is
3: involved in sports riots
0: i i can't tell you but i i'm guessing it's cuz i'm not out there but i'm guessing it's it's not the uh o- o- old men at the golf course that's my guess well uh
3: where i live we we do have like regular sports riots um and like it's like uh around here it's college kids who do it Specifically college kids at, like, a university where, like, most of the population have parents that make more than $100,000 a year.
0: (laughs) (laughs) This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. And thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com/sffaudio Good morning. Hey, Paul. What's going on? I hope you're Hello, ready Will. to get out into the streets, Paul. Um, yeah. Good, good. You bring whatever uh, to the streets. Hockey sticks or uh, um, baseball bats, whatever you need. Save it for the podcast. (laughs) I'm just, uh, uh, no, I'm not talking about the book. I'm just talking about, you know, the COVID-19 stuff.
2: Again, save it for for the podcast.
0: Oh, okay. I didn't see a connection there, but whatevs. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
2: Liar, 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 liar.
0: Those are jokes, Paul. (laughs) All comedians are liars. That's true. Uh,
3: I just, I don't know.
2: Are you saying all comedians are Cretans?
0: <laughs> I think that's a, a, a classical reference. I hope you brought your classical it is a, reference, it is Paul. The classical reference. Your classical reference game. All right, this phone I'm
3: putting you go. guys on speaker for a second while no I'm worries. getting my headphones set up.
0: Good idea. And where's the Evan? I don't know it's where the is. behind the Evan great is. firewall. Is he the
3: one in like Belgium or somewhere? China. China.
0: China. Oh yeah. Well Oh yeah, he's definitely behind a firewall.
4: <laughs>
0: Do you guys know about the um the uh there's a shadow ban checker for Twitter to see if you're being shadow banned?
2: No, I did not know that. Yeah. I was shadow banned once. It was
0: not a happy experience. See the oppressors are no longer uh the government, qua government, they are now uh, Twitter and Facebook and Google. So we have to seize the means of production from the uh, the. I'm
2: uh, um, saving for the podcast. <laughs> uh,
0: shadow ban Twitter. Let's see how we find this here. What
3: was? Are you shadow banned on Twitter? I'm not. So, no. Le- le- should we uh, discuss shadow banning on the podcast or is this just like poor play?
2: Well, we 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 can discuss ah, shadow banning as Evan's play.
0: not ready. Evan's not ready. He says thinks it was next week. It's now, man. Oh. Comma, man. Oh, dear. Let's see, what, let's see what he's
1: Oh, dear. Oh, dear.
0: Alright, <clears throat> <yeah>, so <throat> it's shadowban.eu. And then you type in your name, your Twitter name, and it runs uh, checks to see what kinds of bands you get. No bands. Just not shameful. Full of what shame. shameful? You wanted to be shadow banned No. Uh, Evan didn't read his homework. Well... R.I.P. Evan. I need to send him the schedule so that he...
3: Yeah, this is... Uh, I don't know, Jesse, are you engaging in cancel culture?
0: <laughs> I'm
3: Jesse? Not, I'm not going to cancel, gonna canc- gonna oh cancel the God. episode. Don't you, don't you think it's problematic to try to make your podcast guests read?
0: Uh, problematic? No. What's the opposite of Problematic. I I was assigning random people homework yesterday on Twitter. (laughs) What? Which
3: people and why? Or is this Um, a podcast story?
0: I'm going to say, now you have to do your own show on it. Now you have to do your own show on it, comma, as punishment. There we
3: go, Jesse. I think you would be a good like te- like public school teacher if like public school teachers only had to work like four hours a day.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm up for but
3: it. Jesse
2: works. but Jesse works more than four hours. Some
0: days, yeah, I've had eleven hour days. J- Jesse works hard. Today's going to be well. I work smart. I think I, I'm going to have just two <laughs> two classes today, so four hours. I think. Oh, nice. Yeah, work's one smart, one of them. Cancelled, and the other one uh, is going online. He says, "I owe you one." <laughs> yeah. So he's gonna do it. Awesome.
2: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So are you are you going to move to online only classes?
0: Oh, I've do, been doing online only sometimes, anyways. But uh, one of my students' moms doesn't want him going out, so he's gonna do it online. The other one's coming, so we'll see.
2: I mean, this is a whole new. World. Um,
3: scary. I mean, world. how many people come in and out of your house anyway, Jesse?
0: Uh, it's not that many. I mean, it's not a parade, you know. It's not like I'm a very popular prostitute, you know, with a parade of sailors <laughs> knocking on the door and welcome the, uh, being welcomed in while I'm I'd be my laughing, neglige. but I'm chewing. I'd be laughing,
2: but I'm chewing. All right. So, Misa
0: is not joining us because she's got the flu or something. Um but uh she's Thought, uh
3: thoughts and prayers mysa,
0: Yeah, she's uh, going to be uh hopefully um joining us next time for uh Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which, which I Which is
2: uh, on a Saturday.
0: Yeah, it's next Saturday for Paul, uh not for Paul for Scott's convenience. Um, cuz he's busy uh indoctrinating people into the Catholic religion on Sundays.
2: Either he, he has a propensity to like my photos involve Rome. I've noticed on Twitter. Well,
0: he's. Uh, haven't you been seeing his involving Rome? Yes. So
2: I know it's almost been like a trade. It's like
0: yeah, he, yeah, that's right.
2: I go, you go. That's right. So
0: yeah. Who who uh, photoshopped the pontiff's chair better?
2: <laughs> hey, I never. I ne- I did not get to meet the pontiff. No. No, I I mean that that was an extra tour where you could have the pontiff walk by basically, but really? yeah, really, well, it it, kinda... it was a tour. Yeah, it, it was a potential thing I could have done.
0: That's kind of
2: during a service. Crazy. But
0: well, do you have uh, do you have to pay for that?
2: Yes, you would have to pay for that. So I thought, yeah,
0: color me nah. surprised.
3: <laughs> I, I I mean, is I, there, I is would. Is there less time in purgatory if you pay <laughs> to, right. like for the pope to walk by is you? Is there a or piece of it...
0: Is there a vending machine where you can get like uh, uh, what are those things called? The thing that Martin Luther indulgence hated? indulgence indulgence put in twenty court qu- or twenty euros for a minor indulgence. Murder mm-hmm. is two hundred euros. I don't no,
3: know. I mean I think the, I think the church is gonna want to charge more than two hundred yeah, euros for right. an indulgence
0: uh, and for murder. Right.
3: Probably you're more right. like but like like two million maybe.
0: Ah, uh, yeah, that sounds about
3: right. I mean, come on. But I guess the church has plenty of money. I don't know if they uh, I think they can like have high prices cuz like you, I think they you like, study large...
0: economics in university?
3: Oh, no, no. I'm just a I'm just a Marxist. Uh, but uh, <laughs> Well, yeah, but that's
0: kind of the same thing, yo.
3: Yeah, yeah, but uh I um no, I I really didn't try to study any economics until like I was just like uh like an adult like in the world like mm. doing stuff, then so I was like, like, oh well. 2 weeks ago, I right?
0: I'll say again. Like two weeks ago?
3: A few weeks ago, yeah, yeah. yeah. A so few young. weeks ago I uh I listened to one David Harvey lecture. Um, okay. but uh no. Um the way they would price it. Is, yeah, I think that just my, my thinking is so the 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 uh the it's largest uh, foundation in the world is the Catholic Church. Like the uh it's just like the largest like pool of like money that is organized that way. So they have like so I mean uh the thing already like funds itself to a certain extent. Mm. Uh so uh you know, it's just like extra if you can get those donations.
0: No, no. It's um it's it's an inelastic good. Paul, did you study uh, economics?
2: I I took one course in economics.
0: I really like An inelastic
2: economics.
3: bubble. Okay, so tell us what an inelastic bubble is. No, no, it's inelastic
0: good. So inelastic good. Uh, so there's elastic goods and inelastic goods. Goods are Anything you want to buy. Oh,
3: okay, okay. okay. This is like, okay, I understand basic what you're stuff, talking about right. now. This is not unfamiliar.
0: Yeah, so you've got a good like uh, bananas, right? Everybody likes bananas. My mom's bird likes bananas. I like bananas. Uh, my mom. I didn't know your mom had a bird. That's yeah, so she, cool. She has an uh, African gray parrot. She used to Does breed. it talk? It's It doesn't much. Uh, it was one of the ones that was like sort of uh, shyest and weirdest of, oh. of the ones she bred, so she kept that one. That's so sweet. Uh, yeah, it's like, uh, oh, as old as my car. 30 years old, so. <laughs> you drive Denver. a 30-year-old car? I do, yes. And it's red, don't worry.
3: <laughs> yeah, no, what, Um. question, question. So, like, uh, so have you
0: had this car for 30 years? Or yeah, it, I, got like, it. Old... I got it when I was 18.
3: Okay, wow. Yeah. And you've, like, been able to, like, successfully just, like,
0: stick to that car? Yeah, I've had, you know... Some cars. Uh, Jesse addition, doesn't
2: drive but, much.
0: Yeah, see? I don't go very far, but oh, good. But uh,
2: I mean, he, he, he's I'm not driving the across the country. That's I've I've driven to Alberta. Yeah, but when's the last time you you drove more than five hundred miles in the day? Yeah.
0: Uh, it was gonna be at least ten years, more than that, probably.
2: I mean, going going to Grand Marais and back, which I did. Last weekend was five hundred miles. So, hmm.
0: you, is, I, I'm, hence I'm your little need little. to always get new cars.
2: Well, well, yes, but on the other hand, I get to see places and take photos and do things and yeah. have adventures. Yeah.
0: No, I'm not and, saying it's a bad thing. It's 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 well, a lifestyle exactly, choice, yeah, right?
2: I could not have a car that lasted thirty years. I also it's haven't been on
0: an airplane in a long time. You know.
2: Well. But well, that, that could cost. be that could be a lot uh, of us, dude.
0: Opportunity points. costs are, are a big part of it. Um, but uh, elastic and inelastic goods. So you got bananas, which are elastic goods. If suddenly um, there was a strike in Costa Rica,
3: should we? Are we recording?
0: I'm recording, Not but this okay, is all good, good. this is all pre-chat stuff. If there was suddenly a strike in Costa Rica, you could uh, get Florida oranges as a replacement breakfast uh, item, right? People don't get upset uh, too much. Like, for example, we had a tomato shortage years ago. You would go into a subway and they don't have any tomatoes, right? Um, So you can tomatoes or you could get, uh, you know, some other fruit, but you can't have fresh tomatoes. It's not the end of the world. And hence the price of tomatoes is uh, relatively uh, stable and low inelastic goods like insulin um cannot be replaced with a supplementary drug it's either just
2: insulin healthcare in general in insulin general,
0: yeah. well no they're, they're like if you have pain you can take heroin right uh if you have pain you can take codeine if you have pain you can take a whole bunch of different drugs that you know they're all related to each other but um but there's no substitutes
2: for insulin point taken
0: it, right and so in, insulin is a highly inelastic good um so, with indulgences, what are your options? You've got the Catholic Church and another religion, which is going to be very costly to change over to, right? Now, hence uh, so many people changing over. <laughs> when the prices were too high, you can explain the entire uh, Reformation or whatever you want to call that, uh, those uh, those uh, Pro- Protestant movement. That Reformation movement. is... That- Protestant, I think the yeah, the usual different. term used. Yeah. Okay. So the <laughs> Protestants breaking away, making their own churches. I mean, think of uh, the cost of a divorce for uh, King Henry the Eighth. Right. <laughs> Very expensive. <laughs> he kept <laughs> yeah, bribing was and bribing, and then. his own church. That's right, and he just says, "Fuck this! I'll give myself a divorce." Right. And so that that uh, creation of a new good to replace a, a, an elastic good um, means that today. You, you've got to find – there is a a price point between what people can afford uh, and what people are willing to pay that would determine best the price for an indulgence. You want to keep them relatively scarce like the same way they do with uh, you know, De Beers and Diamonds, right? You keep them relatively scarce so that the price uh, is better for you in profit terms rather than what it actually is determined by a – demand it's kind of uh, it's kind of a weird situation but yeah economically you know we could talk about markets uh, determining stuff the market is a combination of what the demand is what the supply is and what the supplier is willing to demand from the customer and what what is your alternative if you're getting married and you want to get a uh, ring for your sweetie um, you could get a ring without a diamond you get like a what a plastic ring <laughs> you could go without rings right but it's uh, a diamonds are inelastic titanium. yeah 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 you can do all sorts of stuff right but the <laughs> but the marketing makes it seem as if you know what do the girls say they say uh, if you uh, you know put a rock on it or i don't know i'm not you, up put, a girl. you put, like, put a ring on
3: it like yeah 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 well i mean the the ideology is um, that if you like really uh, love your female partner, uh, you need to be able to come up with like this like shiny gemstone uh, that's real uh, that was just a big sacrifice yeah. to get. It shows to show her that
2: love. She's
0: valuable. It shows,
2: shows, shows your good provider.
0: Yeah, well, but this is all part of the marketing ploy too, right?
2: Well, 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 yeah, but I it's tapping into
0: absolutely
2: ancient idea ideas of uh, how I'm not how even sure they're work. ideas.
0: I think I think they're built into DNA, kind of, or uh, I, an emergent property I, of of, of male female dynamic.
2: Well, at, well, that's that's a that's a conversation for another time. How much of that is our culture is to build that in? How much of that is actual down down in the depths of our? I think
0: almost uh, everything's emergent at some point, right? It's very like. Uh, until you get a telescope, until you get a, uh, I don't know, geologist finding these fossils, pretty much it's all uh, its all emergent stuff, like language and all that stuff. And then even when you get those technologies, the ability to find a geologist out in the field, you know, with a museum to put that shit in so it doesn't get wrecked during the rainstorm or whatever, and then writing and all, you get all that shit together and it's suddenly got you know, printing presses and people who know how to read them and all that stuff. Pretty much it's all pretty pretty predictable. We're like basically like uh, weaver birds or whatever. What are they called? Those Australian birds that do all the... Bower bird. Bower bird. Yeah. We're basically all just DNA shit in action. Just strangely, you know, brushing our hair, looking at ourselves in mirrors and... So,
3: so basically, uh, your your argument is uh, uh, that culture is uh, uh, determined by biology.
0: Yeah,
1: basically. I mean,
0: I think and geography, uh, you know, geology, all that, all the things. But, you know, the environment and your DNA is basically why everything is the way it is. You know, the reason you have that spicy food in your culture is because you live in a spicy land.
3: Well, I mean, well, I think that, uh, okay, that makes, uh, that part of it is, is I think less controversial. Um, the, uh, but but your position is basically, uh, kind of, uh, like mechanical, uh, uh, materialism, you know, the, uh, the matter exists and it is arranged in certain ways that will have certain outcomes. Uh, you know, there might be like. Some probabilities about what those outcomes are. It's not like, you know, when the first atom hit the first other atom, like we were able <laughs> to determine everything. I, you don't have to go that it's far. It's not
0: that bad. It's not that uh, you know. I mean, obviously, that's true. When the first whatever hit the first whatever. Um, but I mean, do we actually know enough to be able to say that? No, 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 no. no. But what what I mean to say is that uh, those are inferable, unprovable, but inferable. Um, but you know i i can infer that the there was weather before I was born um and i don't i can't uh prove it in the way that I can prove things in the present day um as easily to <laughs> other people other than myself but uh it's it, we can take it as uncontroversial right um uh, did I send you guys the uh p d f for this
2: i let me let me uh look down my dropbox. You
0: did, but I uh, I didn't look at the PDF because
3: um, I'm a I'm a renegade. I, I don't do my homework. I make the teachers mad. How dare they you send me? They send me to in school suspension, and I uh, plot the overthrow of the fascist didn't, school you administration. Have get there did to called to the
0: bar? Didn't they? Apparently, they're very lax. They just found out you're a Kentucky Colonel and said, yeah. Uh, wait, oh, mine? yeah,
3: I had to sign a, a pledge that I wouldn't, like, help overthrow the government. Really? Yeah, it's a Cold War thing. Oh, everybody cool. has everybody who uh, takes the bar exam has to take a loyalty pledge. That's um, crazy. Uh, Kentucky actually has a law against uh, sedition on the books, uh, but it was uh, struck down in the 50s because technically you can't uh, okay. commit sedition against one of the United States. You can only <laughs> commit sedition against the whole United States. <laughs> Uh, Was uh, the Supreme Court's wisdom on that? Uh, But uh, uh, civil rights activists in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, were uh, uh, put in jail uh, during the Second Red Scare um, Um, because they like wanted to integrate the suburbs. How dare they! Basically, trying to like that was basically a a communist plot to uh, overthrow the U.S. Constitution. Which is, like, half true. It actually was, like, a plot formulated by communists, but um, it was, like, not designed to overthrow the U.S.
1: Constitution.
0: Probably just to enforce some of the things they thought were the ideals that are in there. They're sort of abandoned. and.
3: Yeah, at the time, that was how communists thought about it. Like, uh, the um, you get a little bit of this in Jack London's work, too, but... Uh, we better um, get started soon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah but we, the, the idea was that communism sure. uh, was the new americanism, uh that there was a uh a continuity from uh the founding fathers uh through uh you know, 20th century american communism that it was like uh a natural progression of a political tradition. Mm-hmm. Um Call it like the Crispus Addicts left, like you know, like the, the first like martyr of the American Revolution was a black man, despite like America
0: being a slave society. Um so, uh, uh, you're you're straying into our territory, so let's let's get started. Yeah. <laughs> Let me get my recorder started so we can yeah. do this. Open dashboard, is that what I'm supposed to be doing? I don't know what this thing Oh, I see. There we go. Okay. I have two recorders going. I don't know if both of them are active properly, but one of them's going properly. You do need to look at this. Um, you need do need to look at your homework because
3: okay, I'll get it out the PDF. Illustrations. I'll stop being a renegade.
0: Um, I sent you a link also in the group chat there, but um, there's a color cover, and then there's almost no illustrations. I think there's no illustrations in the first half. It was serialized over two issues, but there's some in the second.
2: Okay, I have recorder started. Right. Okay,
3: I'm opening up this PDF. Oh wow, look at like Jack London's rosy lips. Yep. Um, I have to tell you, like, uh, you know, you can tell it's like the left wing press because of like how, uh, like, this is the only illustration. Like, it's you know, well,
0: no, keep keep going down. There's two illustrations in the uh, second half.
3: I see the uh, the ad for the Clarence Darrow story.
0: Oh, yeah, the um, on the first page? Is that what you
3: mean? Um, no, I think it's on page uh, 12. Let me look here.
0: I wonder why I left that in. Um, I mean, it's interesting. Oh, that's the issue of the oh, second uh, cover. Okay, so I, I, on page uh, uh, so five, six, so that cover illustration is an incident from Jack London's story, you see.
2: Yep, uh, yeah. There's the uh, there's the uh, the the picture. Yeah, for, for Silver
0: uh, pitcher that he's always worried about running out of. Okay, I see the picture of like
3: like the bourgeois approaching a cow. Mm-hmm.
0: I think that's Are, our hero.
3: yeah 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 that's what i mean like that's our hero he's a bourgeois he's like approaching a cow calf is pretty weak um and then i see like the like maybe our hero is sitting by the side of the road getting robbed by some horsemen
0: yeah um but uh i like i like their uh there's, Why don't
2: we get started? Yeah, so we can actually get, get this get, get this actually on the podcast.
0: Get it in the can. All right, here we go.